Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. As you can see, as you can hear, we're coming in hot on today's episode of Composite Two Star Recruits. We have a snazzy new intro. Shout out to Will for making that and getting that done for us. Gerard, you haven't heard it yet. You probably will never hear it. I don't know if you ever listen to the podcast, but I requested some rock for the background. So I did that for you, buddy. And we're here for a jammed packed episode of Composite Two Star Recruits. Let me bring in my fellow one star host, Gerard Martinez. Yes, uh, I will not be able to see it, nor will I be able to hear it. But uh, uh, evidently you have radar so uh, you can hear and see the podcast Chris Trevino, that's why we love you so much, because uh, you are all seeing, all hearing. Uh, you have the ability to have the sixth sense that we do not have. Like a bat, baby. Like a bat, I see and hear all. So thank you for joining us for Composite Two Star Recruits. Gerard, we've have had a lot of uh, highly anticipated episodes, but I think this one is going to be up there in the top five, to say the least, because as you know, Things have changed since our last episode when we were previewing USC's first official visit weekend of June, and all hell broke loose. USC went nuclear with their recruiting class, picking up five commitments in a span of, I don't know, four, four, not four days, 48 hours, and there are still some unaccounted for. So it's actually more than five, but five have publicly come out as commitments for the Trojans, and... USC is red hot right now. USC is absolutely rolling on the recruiting trail. I mean, they had their first official visit of the cycle, May 19th. You did get an emoji from that weekend, but you haven't had any public commitments announced. Uh, But here we have uh, not only some public commitments announced, but some huge ones, uh, maybe a shocker or two in there. And now USC going from 50-something in the recruiting rankings all the way up near uh, the uh, top 15. And so uh, pretty impressive, you know, a quick turnaround. And this is not the biggest weekend of USC football recruiting of the summer. Mm -hmm. That is still to come. So there's a lot to recap on this visit weekend and some stuff to look forward to as well. Yes, we have a ton to get to in this episode of the composite two-star recruits technically maybe season two episode one maybe the last episode was just the uh the prequel i don't know i messed up a lot i'm not gonna mess up anymore 
for this episode. I have to bring our A game. I don't know how long this one is going to go, but I have uh, some MREs ready here. I don't know if we're going to be going overnight. I have a space blanket. I'm prepared to go into the wee-wee hours of the morning, Gerard. I don't know what's going to happen. There are five commitments we have to break down. We are going to take a look back at our preview. We have them in categories. We're going to go through that. We're going to give some grades, some superlatives for what happened over the weekend. We're going to preview this coming weekend's official visit weekend, which is a much smaller group. We have some elite camp stuff to talk about. Gerard got close to Cliff Kingsbury, the first public sighting of him on campus. We're going to talk about who's the potential next commitments and some guys that USC was targeting have committed elsewhere. And also we have a bunch of listener questions. So we have a lot to get to. But before we get into all that, you know, Lincoln Riley and his staff were closing a lot of deals this past weekend. But you know who also closes a lot of deals? That's right. The official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles. How many deals does she close? Well, she did over $600 million in sales last year and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. And yes, these are words in front of me, but I'm also a client of Meredith. That's right. One star, Chris Trevino uses Meredith services. Shout out to Jeremy Hensley. Got me into the house I'm in now. She does it all. Rentals, sales, buying, all of that. If you're thinking about jumping into this crazy housing market, You have to go with Meredith Schlosser and her team. They have a wide range of services they can offer to clientele, and they specialize in first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal with the top 1.5% of agents in the nation, not Southern California, the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R, and check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Give her a follow and see all the properties and what she's got going on over there on Instagram. So thank you again to the official composite two-star recruit sponsor, Meredith Schlosser. Gerard, we already know what the cold open is going to be. We're going to be talking about some commitments because Lincoln Riley, they did some closing this weekend. A always BBC closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. Gerard, we have five commitments to talk about. I think we should talk about offensive line. I think we should talk about Modesto, Central California, Central Catholic offensive tackle, Manasseh Etite, a four-star prospect, a composite four-star. That is a very important distinction. Six foot five, 290 pounds, number 143 nationally, in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 12 offensive tackle, and the number 14th prospect in California. We are much higher on him in the 24-7 sports rankings. He is number 314 in the 24-7 sports composite, number 28 offensive tackle by the composite rankings. And USC, you know, flooded him with some crystal balls. You know, Steve Wolfong, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, Blair Angulo all put crystal balls in for Mana. Earlier in the week, Florida State was considered the favorite for him. They had a crystal ball in on him. And then suddenly, just a flood of Trojan crystal balls coming in for Mana. And USC has their second consensus four-star offensive lineman commitment. Elijah Page was last year in 2023, which broke a severe drought of not getting high-end offensive linemen. 
Now, Mana is what we considered a raw prospect. As I mentioned, he's six foot five, 290 pounds. His technique needs some work. You know, I was, we watched the huddle film of all these guys uh, this morning, and technique needs a little work. Very raw. You know, he's coming from the, the Congo, from Africa, came originally to the States as a basketball player, has moved around, was in Massachusetts, then he was in Texas. But, you know, you look at him, we saw him up close and personal at the, uh, the Under Armour camp uh, earlier this spring, and he's got great size on him. You can see the athleticism, really good length on him. His, his arms are super long, just an impressive wingspan. You can see it on tape. He's using that long reach to just get, to keep uh, defenders rushing at him at bay. And, you know, I, I love the effort, too, because he plays defensive line, too, up there in NorCal. And watching him play defensive line, he is getting after it. He's chasing down kids. There's a couple plays where he is hustling to make the tackle. So I love the effort that he plays with. And the thing that sticks about, out about him when we were at the Under Armour camp was with we we're talking about Brandon Huffman about him. And, you know, he said this is a kid that, you know, if he figures out his body and what he's doing on the football field and it clicks – you know, this guy is one of those guys that has a potential to be a first round pick. That's the kind of level of talent that he has and potential that he has just with that long wingspan. You know, still still a very raw prospect, but this is a really good get for Josh Henson and uh, a big piece to build around for this uh, 2024 O-line recruiting class. Comes to the United States from Congo as a basketball player. And so when we look at the first round of the NFL draft and you look at the offensive linemen, Many of those offensive linemen were dual sport athletes. Some were multiple sport athletes. And a lot of them weren't 300 pounds coming out of high school. And so Atite is 300 pounds, but he does have the markings of a multi-sport athlete. And again, being able to come from Africa to play basketball, you know that he was a pretty high-level basketball player at that point. 83-inch wingspan. Uh, has the long arms, but this is very much a play on potential because we saw him, mm -hmm. as you stated, at the Under Armour camp, and he was decent. I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was dominant. I didn't think he was a guy that was sort of can't miss from that standpoint. Um, he battled a bit, and he got you know on his heels a little bit too much for my liking, but when you watch the huddle film and you see him playing real football, you see why uh, that happens is because he doesn't lock out and he doesn't use those long arms well enough. He's got to get in the weight room. He's got to get stronger. So there are some very obvious fixable talking points about him in terms of his improvement. And then you look on the other side of the things that you can't teach that wingspan, uh, his footwork, and again, basketball players. So you understand that he's probably got pretty good feet. Uh, mm -hmm. I think one of the things that Brandon Huffman said when we wrote the future impact piece um, Manasse Etete is he's really a blank slate. And while you may have some offensive linemen that you bring in that are a little more polished and better right now, technically, they also have flaws and things that you have to sort of unteach and untrain technically. So you have to go backwards a bit in order to get them at a point where they're going to be consistent enough to play off to tackle for you in college. With Atite, it's a blank slate. So there are no bad habits that you really have to unteach. You're basically going, all right, this is where we have to coach you up from the ground floor. We have to get you into the weight room, get your upper body stronger 
for sure. And so is he an immediate impact player for USC? I would question that. He looks at USC and one of the reasons why he commit, he felt A, he was going to get great player development from Josh Henson. He has a very good relationship with Josh Henson. And B, he thought that he was going to be able to play early with the guys that are going to be leaving from USC. Now, I think from that standpoint, it's debatable just because of his rawness. I mean, he's going to take a lot of coaching up to be able to play as a true freshman. I think this is more of a redshirt freshman, maybe even redshirt sophomore year where he's able to hit and uh, get the 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 system and football down to the point where you feel like you can put him out there at offensive tackle and not get your quarterback killed. So consistency is a big deal on the offensive line. And interestingly, you know, Huffman felt like he's really got a right tackle uh, start to his career, which I would agree with. I mean, if you aren't 100% sure or confident with his technique early on, it's much easier to put a player at right tackle or put him inside as a guard than put him at left tackle. Left tackle, you are definitely trial by fire. You're hanging him out to dry. And if there are technical deficiencies, um, he, you're going to have your quarterback on the ground. So you have to be a bit careful with that. And I do agree with at least initially you could see him maybe playing right tackle and then maybe down the line moving over to left tackle if his technique and fundamentals and just understanding of the game catch up with his athleticism. So, yeah, it is a big get for USC from an evaluation standpoint. As I said, I think he starts out probably as a right tackle, but he does have the athleticism. He does have the wingspan where he could play left tackle. So uh, the potential of him being a franchise level guy is there. It's just not necessarily a sure bet because you never know how these guys are going to pan out. And if, you know, the athleticism translates, you know, from the basketball court to the football field. And so we are going to kind of watch him and see, you know, how he progresses over the years. But uh, this, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, transitioning from player evaluation to like the recruitment hindsight was a really big turnaround for him and for USC, because I think a lot of people were very confident that Florida State was the leader. Uh, we have talked a lot about NIL and some players NIL playing a very big factor in his recruitment, and it did play a factor in his recruitment. And I think it does shift the narrative a little bit with USC and, and how aggressive they want to recruit out of high school. Um, this is one of those players, like I said, certainly not a proven commodity. I think you're putting more of his rating on the potential side than you are the production side. Uh, like you said, 24-7 sports has him ranked the number 12th offensive tackle in the nation. And I think composite wise, he's in the high twenties and that's because 24 seven has seen him quite a bit more than anybody else. And, you know, we've seen him uh, play in, in various camps and some other things. And Brandon Huffman has a great relationship with the young man and, and uh, has, has kind of known him over the past couple of years uh, before he kind of blew up as a big time uh, high school football player. And so there's a little more comfort, I think, there for 24-7 standpoint. But I understand where there would be a difference because you just get to basically see him at the UA camp. And as I stated, I didn't think he was overly impressive from a performance standpoint at the Under Armour camp. I think, again, you're just looking at the body. You're looking at the potential from the way he moves and what the ceiling is from him talent-wise. Yeah, and just going back to kind of what you were talking about with him playing right tackle 
He does play left tackle for his high school. Obviously, you put your most talented lineman there. But I just wanted to ask sort of a projection position question for you. And just because he has such an amazing wingspan, that's not something you necessarily want to put at guard because length is everything on the edge. So you would think that you would have to make him a tackle at some point just because he has that rare wingspan and arms on him, correct? No, absolutely. I don't think he's going to be an offensive guard. I was yeah. just saying in terms of the transition for any lineman, it's easier to play right tackle and even easier to play guard because you're you're protected, right? You you play interior in pass protection, you've got a guy from on either side of you that could potentially help you out. But when you're at tackle, I mean, you have all of that field on either your right side or your left side. So uh, there's uh, less protection there and you don't really have much backup on the right side. You do potentially have a tight end that plays next to you. So you always have that ability to maybe put a tight end there. He can chip block or can double team, uh, but the left side you're on an Island. And so mm -hmm. you really have to be confident that that player is comfortable there. They have the balance, they have the footwork, uh, they have that wingspan. So, you know, in case they get beat, on the first step, they're still able to reach out and slow that pass rusher a little bit so he doesn't just have a clear lane to your quarterback. But that tends to be your quarterback's blind side as well. So it does make it that much more important, as you said, your best lineman. And I think, you know, the lineman that is the most consistent and you're most confident in is going to play that left side. You don't necessarily want to experiment on the left side when you've got Eisman Trophy uh, winning quarterback there. And he was scheduled to take three more official visits moving forward, Oregon State on the 9th, Utah on the 16th, and then he had that Florida State one circled for the end of the month. We'll have to see if he does end up going out there, but I don't think – I think USC shut this one down, so we'll see if he absolutely ends up you know, going out to any of those other visits. But a really strong start to the Trojans, getting him for the first visit and then you know, kind of locking it up. As we mentioned, we're going to go over our categories from the previous week, look at what, what happened and where people were. But he was in that playing from behind because, as we mentioned, the Seminoles were the favorite in this one. But, again, Lincoln Riley and that staff went in and... A always BBC closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. There's going to be a lot of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross uh audio in this episode so just be prepared for that but usc did a great job there gerard anything else you want to say about the man that goes by the name africa king kong uh <laughs> moving on to our next commitments no we we've got a few guys here we got to talk about <laughs> and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the categories that we use to preview the official visits so we can talk about them again there so we you know there's a few different uh aspects and perspectives that we can touch on in terms of their recruitment and evaluation and getting to know these players and getting to look forward to their recruitments and how things may play out over the summer and then how things may play out uh, over the course of the fall and the season. Let's get into one of USC's big priority recruits. That was on campus. This was a guy that we thought USC had a chance to close with. And obviously they did. That's Gardena, California, Sarah, four-star cornerback, corner Dakota Fields. If you're a USC fan, if you follow recruiting, you know who this kid is. Six foot two, 175 pounds, coming in as a cornerback. Number 119 in the 24-7 sports rankings. Number 10 cornerback in the country. Number 13 prospect 
out of the state of California. A little bit higher than 24-7 sports composite, number 78 overall, number 10 cornerback as well, and the number 10 prospect in California. Now, Dakota Fields, big, long, strong cornerback. Gerard did a fabulous uh, future impact piece uh, talking to some of his coaches at uh, Sarah. Foot injury in his junior year, so not a ton of film from last season. Played in about, I believe, seven or six games. But when I went to go see out there for Sarah, by the time I started going out to see Roderick Pleasant, he had already been injured, and he was walking around in a boot and obviously missed the majority of that season. I feel like I've seen him play safety a couple times, like in the summer league, seven-on-seven. I believe I watched him play against St. John Bosco. Had a pretty good game. That was a game nobody could score on either side. I think he had an interception, a couple pass breakups. So, you know, long length, good impress coverage. He can run with wide receivers, got some speed on him. You know, fits the mold of these bigger, longer cornerbacks that USC seems to be targeting. Uh, You know, Devin Kirkwood, uh, who obviously went on to UCLA. That's an older one, but uh, uh, blanking on the name of Jacoby Covington. Excuse me. Thank you. Jacoby Covington, Christian Roland Wallace, some of these bigger, longer cornerbacks that USC has been targeting uh, recently with his new staff. The only cornerback that USC has on the roster right now that's under six foot is Prophet Brown. Every other cornerback that they have uh, is listed at six foot or taller. So it's something that we've talked about in past podcasts that USC has definitely gotten much bigger in the defensive secondary. And Dakota Fields is one of the longest tallest cornerbacks that we've seen uh, in the past couple cycles. He does uh, sort of remind you a little bit of Malachi Crawford from that standpoint, but is a much more pure corner. He is a guy that you feel a bit more confident that he's going to be able to play man coverage on the outside, whether it's boundary or field side. He does have good speed. He ran a 10-9 this past spring. Uh, He probably could dip that down to being around a 10-8 and for a cornerback that's six foot two going on six foot three, those are pretty good times. So he's a guy that you don't necessarily have to put cover two over the top. Uh, If you're going to play man coverage, he doesn't necessarily need a safety over the top to be able to back him up. Uh, In fact, I think he welcomes that. Press coverage is something that he's very comfortable with. Obviously, when you have those long arms and you're that big, it's easy to corral and control the wide receiver off the line. Uh, But he is one of the few cornerbacks that likes to turn and run, and he doesn't have any issues with that. He's not very grabby from that standpoint, and a lot of the bigger, more physical corners that you see coming out of high school tend to be a little more grabby. They really want to use their physicality at the line of scrimmage as much as possible because there's a little bit of insecurity usually with your top end speed because you're a big guy. You don't want that wide receiver getting loose and getting downfield on you where that doesn't really show up too much on film with Dakota Fields. Dakota Fields, you know, talking to Marvin Pollard, who is his defensive back coach at Sarah Marvin, a former USC Trojan uh, cornerback. Uh, He actually played with Mark Carrier at USC and his coach dub a bunch of those great Sarah uh, defensive backs that have come through and been a mentor to many of the players in general that have come through guys like Dory Jackson, Robert Woods, George Farmer, uh, John Houston, et cetera. And so I've known Marvin for many years, good friend. And we decided, you know, to kind of chat a little bit about Dakota and his uh, maturation, uh, the process of him becoming a star player at Sarah. And he comes from the very famous Carson Colts pop Warner program. He came to Sarah, and a lot of people, you know, knew about him 
And at Sarah, you still going to have to wait your turn. You know, even though mm -hmm. you're one of those kids that comes out of the Pop Warner program, you kind of got a name to yourself. You're going to have to probably wait your turn. But that was the COVID year. And they were actually playing in the spring that season. We had like a five, six game season. But and you talked so, about how much you loved last episode. Oh, yeah. Well, no, the spring games uh, that we had at, at noon on Saturdays were just so chill. <laughs> they were just so nice and easy to get in and out of. But, you know, that was the season that he was a freshman and he came in and, you know, they were depending on two other players to be starters for them. And one of them being uh, Devin Kirkwood, who ended up uh, going to UCLA and, and a guy that at the very last minute turned down USC. A lot of people, in fact, Devin Kirkwood is most known by Peristylers as oh, no. the 95 percenter. I think it was Chris Trevino that decided to go ahead and put that oh, uh, no. his forecast on signing day to USC was 95 percent, which I remember texting. This him. this is my 95%. fault because I because I said his name earlier when I was talking about the bigger cornerbacks. I meant to say Malachi Crawford, but Devin Kirkwood is of the same mold: Yo, big, yes. long, tall. But and one yes. of the few taller cornerbacks that have actually come out of Sarah. Sarah's kind of known more for the Adoree Jacksons, Roderick Pleasant types. Mm -hmm. And so Kirkwood in that frame is a little bit of a comparison for Dakota Fields. But Dakota Fields, because Kirkwood opted out for that COVID brief, you know, kind of truncated season, and their other cornerback, Devin Ford, who's at Weber State now, uh, those two cornerbacks ended up not actually playing that season. Ford twisted his ankle a couple of weeks before they started uh, the season in their home opener. I think it was Long Beach Poly that they played that year. And so the only guy that they really had that they felt athletically could, could be that guy that could be a starter for them was Dakota Fields. So Marvin put Dakota Fields out there, but he made sure that he played on the side of the field uh, that uh, the sideline were so he could talk him and kind of let him, <laughs> you know, know what's going on, give him some 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 context as to the down and distance, just, you know, make sure that he could see the field like uh, Marvin was seeing the field because he was so young. And that's not something that Marvin has ever done before, because usually these guys are like sophomores or juniors or four stars. They're five stars. They're not guys that you necessarily need to coach up that are just out of Pop Warner. So uh, that was a, a kind of unique start to his high school career. But nevertheless, he played well enough and he was coachable enough that he has been a three-year starter for Sarah, which is a very rare thing. And he's going to be a four-year starter coming this season, which uh, Marvin can only think of three or four other players that that's ever that could ever say that could be actual four-year starters at Sarah. So um, a very interesting sort of uh, background to him from an evaluation standpoint and, and how he is one of those guys that uh, as Marvin says, you know, get out, gets out of bed talented. You know, he's, he, he's not like a guy that's worked his way and kind of earned his scholarships kind of grinding through his high school career. He's a guy that's just, man, you you see him and you go, okay, that's a dude. And he plays like that. And, and not to say that he hasn't worked hard for it, but the natural talent is there uh, regardless. And it's not one of those things like where Devin Kirkwood really didn't become a big time recruit until kind of the end of his junior season. Um, Dakota Fields has always been that guy. And so big, tall, you can play him really on either side. Uh, definitely, you know, continues the trend of USC going after bigger cornerbacks. And certainly that's going to help in the Big Ten. But it helps even from the standpoint of going after RPO type of offenses where you got to have uh, defensive backs who can shed tackles. 
you know, because you're going to have a lot of bubble screens. You're going to have a lot of stuff where you're going to get tight ends out there on you. You're going to get other big receivers out there on you. You might even get a lineman that pulls and starts running downfield on you. Your defensive backs, particularly your cornerbacks, in some sense, in some instances, are going to have to try to contain those type of plays. And so you do have to have some bigger guys that can hand fight and can break through a block or two and be aggressive and physical enough to make that tackle in the open field. And so Dakota Fields is definitely one of those type of players. And from that standpoint, you know, a a big get for USC. You know, we talked about USC trying to go one for three at the very least with the three top local cornerbacks, that being Marcellus Williams at St. John Bosco and Zabian Brown at Modern Day High School. Zabian was on the official visit with uh, Dakota Fields. And we have a little bit, you know, to talk about with Zabian Brown. But going back to Fields, you know, they get him. He's high up on the board uh, in terms of recruiting hindsight, a, a big turn getting him away from Oregon. And this was one of those sort of head to head battles where it came down to Oregon and USC. Uh, now, you know, we talked about last week when he was at USC for the camp last year, last June, USC made a big move for him and he had not really spent a lot of time with Dante Williams you could tell that he just wasn't real comfortable, real familiar with the USC coaching staff until he was on campus for that camp. And that really changed his recruitment quite a bit because up until that point, he was very much pro-Oregon. But then we fast forward a few months and he takes another couple of unofficial visits to Oregon and Oregon all of a sudden kind of swings around and they're back in the lead. And at that point in time, probably early in the spring, you know, a couple of sources had said, you know, he's basically a silent, not basically, he was a silent commitment to Oregon. Uh, talking to a few different sources, it seems like that sort of changed not too long ago. Recently, going into his visit, the feeling in hindsight is that USC was the team to beat, which, you know, talking to him earlier, obviously we didn't get to talk to him the week before uh, his uh, official visit. Uh, but, um, you know, like I, I guess a month before, I think the last time, we all spoke to him was probably around the Under Armour camp. And at that point, you still got that Oregon vibe for sure. And I think Greg Biggins had spoken to him even after that and still got very much Oregon vibes from him. So I don't know what it's changed right up, you know, before the official visit. But even talking to some people around Sarah, they thought like USC had a little momentum going into that visit and that there was a possibility that this visit would swing enough that it could turn around his commitment completely. Now, certainly if he still took that Oregon visit, which he has said subsequently he will not, USC is it. He's not taking any more official visits, at least not during the summer. You know, that's a good thing for USC. I mean, I think it would actually be a better thing for USC if he did take that Oregon visit and then just stuck with USC. Or if he didn't commit, you know, took that Oregon visit and then committed to USC because you are going to have that Oregon visit sort of there looming, you know, as a possibility. And I know we're going to get a lot of questions about it. And if he happens to pop up at Oregon for game or what have you, everybody's going to get all excited and no crazy about it. And that's uh, just something that, you know, we're going to have to, uh, to deal with, but nevertheless, I think, um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it was still a big turn for USC, you know, when it happened could be disputed, But nevertheless, it was absolutely one of those things where USC was going head to head with Oregon and they were able to beat out Oregon. And this is why you have official visits. You know, this is why official visits 
are a big deal and you can't get too excited and, and start making too many projections before these kids start getting on these campuses and they they spend 48 hours with these coaching staff, not just them, because often on unofficial visits, it is just them. It may be just them and a seven on coach or them and, and one parent. But with official visits, it tends to be the whole family that comes in. And it's just a different vibe. It's a different environment. And they're able to detail much more of the lifestyle and the academics and the background of the university. And I think, you know, with USC, there's a lot to sell there. You know, there's a lot to sell outside of football. And if you're just showing up for a football camp or you're just showing up for a game, there's not necessarily a lot of time to be able to go over that kind of stuff. So I think that was definitely kind of in the back pocket for USC and they were close enough that uh, as we kind of said, he was a closer. It was between them and Oregon and they were able to, uh, to, to not only make up ground, but just completely shut it down. I remember talking to him after a Sarah game, he didn't play. And I remember talking to him, after you know by the locker room and talking about usc and lincoln riley and you know he was uh forthcoming about you know oregon being kind of leader but he did say you know lincoln riley and usc are making it very difficult for me to leave home they don't want me to leave home and they're making me consider hard about staying in california and which was the whole problem that usc under clay helton that had especially in those final years where Kids didn't care about staying home. They didn't care about staying at USC. They wanted to leave the state. And that's been the big thing for Lincoln Riley and the staff is keeping the kids they want in California to stay home. Obviously, there are other kids who are going to leave. But to get the ones you really want to stay, that's the key. And really wanted Dakota Fields. And he is staying in California. For the time being, obviously, that Oregon visit, that potential Oregon visit will always be looming until that December signing period. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Get them to sign on the line that is dotted. Gerard, anything else you want to add about Dakota Fields before we move on? Did we break down his potential as a field or boundary cornerback yet? You know, I think it's either or. I think the temptation because of how tall he is, is to put him on the boundary. But I do think the athleticism... The fact that he is a track athlete, he does have some ability to play field side, you know, because he can run and he can play the deep ball in man coverage. And that's usually the difference between playing boundary side and field side. It's all about speed. It's all about top end speed. And if you're kind of not sure whether you can really put your corner out there on that island and have all of that field. And to explain it just for the layman, field side is where you have all the open field. It's where the hash mark is on the far side. Field uh, Boundary side is the short side of the field where the ball is actually on that hash mark. So when you have a bigger corner, you have less field for the receiver to be able to kind of juke and jive. And sometimes you can you know, be very physical and you can nullify the route. Whereas in your field side, uh, there's a little more space there for them to move around. And so, you know, a good route runner is going to maybe put some work in on that quarterback. You have to be confident that they have the agility. And again, the top end speed, they're not going to like be able to bite on a route, take a wrong step. And all of a sudden that wide receiver is going to open up a three yard uh, gap and be able to beat him deep and, and take it for 80. So that's also the difference between, 
a cornerback that needs cover two that you're not necessarily confident in playing man uh, and one that you're able to put out there. But because Dakota Field shows a lot of ability to be able to turn and run, you know, he's pretty fluid from that standpoint. You don't see a, a very herky-jerky motion. You don't see him, again, reaching a whole lot. I think that's always the key. When you see guys in high school and sometimes, you know, it comes off the wrong way where you see press man and you see this cornerback that's completely destroying the receiver off the line of scrimmage to the point where he can't run a route at all. He's basically just stymied at the line of scrimmage and people get excited about that. Like, oh my gosh, he's so physical. He's a great footwork. And But the truth of the matter is you don't really see that a lot in real games at the higher levels. You don't see that in college football, power five football very often because receivers are A, good. They're also physical and strong and they've got good technique. So you're not going to be able to just manhandle them at the line of scrimmage. You're going to have to be able to have the footwork. You're going to have to be able to have fluid hips, agility, be able to bend, and then be able to run with that wide receiver downfield. Now, you also have to have good awareness. You have to have good ball skills when the ball is in the air. And so these are little things that you're going to have to look at uh, at the top end, uh, whether you're comparing you know, someone that you feel maybe be a little better to play that field side uh, than Dakota Fields or Dakota Fields can do it, you know, but I think he he gets you to a point where there's a competition there and he could potentially play field side because he at least gets you to the point where he can run with those guys. He's got the agility. He's got the fluid hips. Um, in terms of ball skills, haven't seen quite enough of him to make that determination. Like he's that guy that, you know, with the 50-50 balls or the ball is just you know, going deep and it's over his head that he's going to be able to adjust at the last minute. You know, sometimes that's the difference, you know, between being that sort of top cornerback that you've got uh, and a guy that's just really good. And so it's also going to depend on who else USC has on the roster. But, you know, it's interesting to see between the three. And I guess we could break this down at some point, you know, with Marcellus and, and Zabian being there, you know, who ends up being field and who ends up being boundary. I think out of that group, you probably feel the most comfort, comfortable about Zabian Brown being the field corner. But I think with Dakota, I mean, the potential is there that he could end up being the guy of the group. I don't know if Zabian really has any track times or what have you. I mean, that that kind of can determine it. But I think also the ball skills is, is the big thing is when that ball goes in the air, you know, what do you do against a guy like Xavier Jordan? The receiver is already committed to USC out of Sierra Canyon. That's a great example of a guy that's not super fast. He's not super big. But the end of his routes, he separates so well. He has a je ne sais quoi to his ability on the deep balls that he's running with a top corner a guy like, you know, maybe Chuck McDonald. Uh, there was a few good cornerbacks that were at that Under Armour camp. And he kept catching deep balls on them. And he kept catching the deep balls pretty easily because he had like a yard, yard and a half separation at the end of his route. And I'm going, he doesn't look that fast. I'm watching him. And I'm going, he does not look that fast off the line or in the middle of his routes. But he had this ability because of his ball skills, because of his awareness, that he knew how to sort of set the cornerback up to feel like he's in line with that pass and then just swerve a little bit to where the ball's actually coming. And he kind of fooled those defensive backs, and he's just very good 
from an awareness standpoint, there's an intangible there with the receiver like that where he can sort of set that defensive back up a bit. And so some defensive backs are good, though, and they will have that instinct as to when to turn and look, you know, and, and, and where to feel that pass. And so that's one question that's kind of still remains about Dakota Field. But with his length and the ability to run sub 11, those are things that give him the potential to be able to play field corner. All right, Gerard, I think we need some more beef. We need to get back to the trenches. So let's go to the guy who kicked everything off for a crazy weekend. That's Hayden Treader, six foot six, 300 pound offensive tackle out of Cherry Creek, Colorado. Number 81 overall offensive tackle in the 24-7 sports rankings as a three-star number four prospect out of Colorado. Number 1,154 in the 24-7 sports composite, number 95 offensive tackle. So we'd like him a little bit more at 24-7 sports. And big boy chose USC over Arizona State, California, uh, Colorado also had offered him. uh, Oregon also offered him as well. Now, he was a guy, you know, we said we wouldn't be completely shocked if he uh, went ahead and committed. You know, this was his first visit. USC was able to close on a wild card in Hayden. But like I said, a big, big boy. Treader is a very good run, run blocker. If you look at his huddle tape, you know, he's sealing off blocks really well, opening up those lanes. He's got road grader written all over him. Didn't see a lot of pulling in his film. Not sure how much his offense does that. I only saw about two occasions where he was pulling in his uh, junior film. Not a ton of pass blocking. Also, can't really glean too much off of that. It was basically pass blocking was just a smaller defender running into him and bouncing off of him or shoving him to the ground. That was kind of the, the gist of his pass blocking. But he looks to be someone who's going to be very, very useful in the run game, depending on where he ends up. He plays mainly right guard for his high school, Cherry Creek, which I find interesting because most of the time, as I mentioned, when we're watching a Division I offensive lineman on their huddle tape, they're usually playing left tackle, the most important spot on the field. So it's interesting that he was playing right guard. I don't know about you, Gerard, but when I watch him, I'm getting sort of kind of Andrew Voorhees kind of vibes, you know, similar body type, six foot six, 300 pounds. Andrew did play left tackle in his, you know, high school season. So uh, his his final high school years. So interesting to see, again, Hayden playing guard mostly exclusively, but I'm just getting Voorhees vibes when I watch uh, the big six foot six Hayden Treader. Yeah, and interestingly enough, you know, Blair and Gula has talked about him potentially playing right tackle. I mean, I kind of see him as an interior guy as well, just looking at what USC has recruited an interior lineman. And certainly it's always easier to put offensive tackles and have them play inside rather than guys that are playing inside and have them play out. Now, USC has had a precedent for that with Elijah Vera Tucker, but I think that was unique. And Elijah Vera Tucker did play offensive tackle in high school. So I think with Hayden Treader, I would be surprised if he played a whole lot of offensive tackle. Again, even Jarrett Kingston, a guy that's played left tackle at the college level at a power five school in Washington state uh, ends up going to USC and he plays guard. So I think guard is potential uh, where he ends up going. Um, But uh, he does have some length to him. He is a taller offensive tackle. Uh, or offensive guard, just depending on how you look at it, 6'6", 300 pounds. 
Um, I think a guy that uh, is, uh, you know, kind of off the radar to some extent because he's a Colorado player and I'm not a lot of people get to see Colorado football up close. And so, you know, I'm still in the process trying to track down some people who have actually seen him play in person and to get a better understanding of, you know, in terms of his profile physically, uh, because that does dictate to some extent whether you're going to play right tackle or you're going to play guard. Um, But, you know, I think this is a move to some extent where, you know, looking at USC and their offensive line recruiting as a whole, there's much more consideration, in my opinion, for depth, which is a good thing. And that probably has to do in some manner with the move to the Big Ten. And knowing that there are going to be those stretches during the season that you're going to have to be a running team. You know, there's going to be uh, weather issues, whether it be wind or rain or what have you, where you're going to have to be somewhat limited in your play calling. And you've got to have some depth on your offensive line. And depth in the offensive line, as I've said before, goes beyond just who you have to play on Saturdays. It also has to go with who you can put on the scout team and what you're giving a look to for your defense, as well as what you're doing in terms of trying to limit the amount of attrition on your starting offensive linemen. You know, when you're talking about spring football, when you're talking about fall camp, when you're talking about during the season, do you really want uh, your starting offensive guard to have to play every freaking rep? because you're low on offensive linemen. And it was sort of a debatable thing going back with the Pete Carroll era where they were really, really conservative uh, offering specifically interior offensive linemen. Why? Because uh, if your interior offensive linemen don't work out, you really can't shift them to another position. You know, if a receiver doesn't work out, you can potentially put them over at defensive back. If a defensive back doesn't work out and let's say he's a safety and he's got enough size, you can move him to linebacker. If linebacker doesn't work out, you move him up to the defensive line. You can always sort of shift these guys around to some extent. But with the interior offensive line, you're not going to. You're not going to probably put a guard over on the defensive line. You're not going to put a center to the defensive line. You can put defensive linemen, however, over to the offensive line. And that's what USC did in the Pete Carroll era where you had guys like uh, Butch Lewis. You had guys like Alex Parsons who came into the program as defensive linemen but then ended up transitioning over to the offensive line. But here now it looks like USC with Josh Henson being offensive coordinator – You've got a guy that's got a place at the table that has probably a little bit of decision-making power, and he says, hey, Coach Riley, we need to have more offensive linemen. We have need to have more quality on the offensive line, and I'm all for it. I think it's it's a it's a a smart play, uh, sort of long-term, you know, bigger picture-wise, and that's not even taking into account the potential uh, move to the Big Ten. I, I think just in general, I think you would want to have a little more depth on the offensive line. And as we've stated in the past, USC has missed on a lot of offensive linemen, and particularly offensive tackle, which is why a guy like Manasseh Atete is a big get for them following the get of Eliza Page. You know, every year you want to be able to get uh, offensive tackles, you know, legit offensive tackles that are able to come into the program and be able to play for you and contribute as opposed to, you know, just trickling in, you know, one or two guys uh, here and there every other sort of cycle and then have to bring in a big bunch, you know, in a particular cycle. So I think it's uh, definitely something that bigger picture wise, we're looking at depth and not just uh, the the quality of who's going to be that instant impact player when we're talking about the offensive line. Josh Henson has proven that since he arrived on campus that he is very good at getting the guys he wants and closing for these guys and building a class. Obviously, you know, sometimes he doesn't 
you know, get the guy on the top of the board, uh, Lucas Simmons, uh, Francis Maui Goa, but it doesn't matter. He goes back, back, right back at it and grinds and builds a class. And he's building another really good class for 2024 with Hayden in the fold and Mana already in the fold. That's a really good foundation. And we're going to talk about later in the show some of the other offensive linemen that USC will be bringing on campus and maybe one they won't be bringing on campus. So offensive line is moving along. Henson is building this class. Anything else you want to add about the Colorado big boy before we move on to another trench player? Well, certainly from a recruitment hindsight standpoint, you know, with with Hayden, he'd never been on campus before. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was kind of a wild wild card for us. We'd heard that USC was a big offer for him. He was very excited about getting USC, but he'd never been on campus. So you never know a kid coming from Inglewood, Colorado. He may get off the plane and look at the buildings and all the cars and traffic and go, yeah, man, this ain't for me. So we really didn't know what to expect from that standpoint, other than he was high on USC going to that visit. USC is able to beat out Tennessee and Oregon for him. So those were the other two potential official visits that he had scheduled uh, this summer. And it looks like he's going to shut things down for the summer and he's locked in with USC. And, and once again, I mean, to your point, uh, the best guy on the board versus like the third guy on the board. The one thing that we have seen coming away from, you know, the small bit of empirical evidence that we have in terms of player development along the offensive line last year, looking at the development from, you know, guys like uh, Mason Murphy, you know, guys like Brett Nealon, uh, just watching the, the, the offensive line you know, improve over the year and the lack of sacks that they gave up, the huge improvement in the running game. And the fact, once again, which I think is a really good, brilliant, really, idea by Lincoln Riley is having your offensive corner to be offensive line coach. Because Lincoln Riley's got the quarterback position solid. You know, he's the past concepts and, and the play calling and, and all these things from the peripheral standpoint at the skill positions set, having someone there – uh, with their eyes on the interior as your offensive coordinator, I think is really, really important. You know, I mean, you could very easily say, hey, Dennis Simmons is going to be my offensive coordinator. You know, I'm going to bring in an offensive coordinator that is a, a quarterback coach, and there would be some redundancy there. We saw that with USC under uh, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, particularly Steve Sarkeesian, where Steve Sarkeesian, obviously a quarterback coach, a very noted quarterback coach over the years. But who did he make his offensive coordinator? Clay Helton, um, who is, uh, you know, eventually – the offensive coordinator for Lane Kiffin ends up being Helton. For that, it was Kennedy Palomalu. And I think here with Lincoln Riley, you, 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 you're, you're getting someone that has, again, a place at the table in terms of decision-making power, uh, looking at a part of the offense that you are probably not looking at. If you are the quarterback coach, you're watching the quarterbacks, you're watching the pass plays, the, the secondary, you know, the, the overall schematics of the offense – you really need somebody that you trust and, and and you're putting that kind of value and investment into looking at what ha was happening in the entrenches. So I, I think this is another one of those things where from a recruiting standpoint, you know, Josh Henson's able to get what he needs and he sees these guys and whether they're guys that are top end guys or developmental guys from a depth standpoint, uh, USC is getting it. So full class last year, probably going to be a full class this year, maybe four mm -hmm. or five this year. Um, USC getting not only some top guys there that you're excited about, but they're also getting depth with, again, I think bigger picture is is really important for them. Uh, and, and then it's just that much more important when you consider moving the Big Ten next year. 
Okay, let's move on to a guy that might be making Josh Henson, Hayden Treader, and Mana's life difficult, and that's Atlanta, Georgia, Booker T, Washington, four-star defensive end. Cameron Fountain, which, you know, looking at it on paper, is the biggest splash that USC made in terms of their public commitments, the highest-rated commitment that they got, the six-foot, five-and-a-half, Edge rusher, 237 pounds, out of Georgia. Number 50 overall in the 24-7 sports rankings. Number six, edge rusher. Number seven, prospect in Georgia. Number 81 in the 24-7 sports composite. Number seven, edge. And number 11, prospect out of Georgia. Cameron Fountain, USC, blew away this visit. If you look at his mom, who was tweeting you know, every thought about the visit out there, they were killing it. They loved their visit, and she practically spoke it into existence, Cameron, her son, committing to USC. She said, if he says, I want to commit to USC, I'm going to say yes. So USC crushed it on this visit, obviously, got the commitment from one Cameron Fountain. You know, not a ton of film on him from last year as well, but the length just jumps out when you're watching him on tape. It's it's just apparent he's so much longer, so much bigger than even the offensive lineman that he's facing in terms of uh, his wingspan. You know, he's a, he's playing more of that five-tech, hand on the ground, three-point stance, uh, loves to play out of that. You know, you think of Braylon Shelby because, you know, USC got a guy similar body type, six foot five and a half. They're both listed at the same height for the edge spot. But, you know, in Braylon Shelby's highlights, we saw him dropping into coverage a little bit more. Did not see that from Cameron Fountain in the limited uh, tape that he had posted from his junior season, but this is a big one. Top 50 prospect in the class. Cameron Fountain going to be a Trojan or committed to be a Trojan as of right now. The biggest shocker of the weekend. And Manasseh Tite was a shocker. And maybe we'll talk even more about him later. I'm sure there are going to be some questions about some of these commitments. <laughs> but certainly with Cameron Fountain, a shocker. Talk to some folks that are pretty close to him. In Georgia, and the consensus was Tennessee is the team to beat. And you know, never been to LA, never been to California, family never been to California, don't have anybody that lives in California. And so this was his first trip to the West Coast, and nobody saw him shutting things down early at all. Now, I made the mistake of calling him and talking to him and not talking to his mom after the <laughs> official visit because I had called him uh, early Sunday morning before he was ready to fly. You got out. him bright and early, Drew. I woke him up probably. I don't I don't know about that, but I, I got him early and he was, you know, he liked the visit. He said a lot of very good things about Roy Manning and Roy Manning's name has come up continuously this offseason in recruiting. And uh, he felt like USC showed him something different. And what that basically translated to is outside of football, they showed him a lot. And he really liked that. But certainly he was not as enthusiastic about USC as his mother was. And I came away from that conversation uh, feeling like, okay, he's still going to visit Tennessee. He's still going to visit Georgia. And he had said that he was going to visit Georgia this weekend. And he was going to end the recruiting process after his visit to Tennessee. So you're kind of like, okay, you know, USC, th th he had a good visit and they definitely uh, are getting that traction, if you will, when we start talking about traction visits being his first visit here. But I wouldn't have bet 
any money that he was going to turn around and commit. You know, there was just nothing there that would have put any type of confidence into forecasting him to shut everything down and commit to USC. Now, you know, we still have to kind of figure out again with some of these commitments, if there is still an official visit coming somewhere, you know, during the summer, um, I do have some people that again are pretty close to him. And so it's kind of getting felt out, you know, it's the, 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 the sort of afterglow of the official visit is, is still there. And, um, you know, clearly his family was very high on USC and they loved USC. Now from an evaluation standpoint, he told me that USC likes him standing up. And I, I think that that's, I mean, maybe that's true or not. I like him more as a five technique. I think he is absolutely a five technique, six, six, about 240 pounds. Um, he's an athletic five technique. He is a very, very good get as a five technique. As a stand-up rush end, I don't know if he has that type of athleticism. If you're going to put somebody at rush end, those are the sort of freakish, you know, guys that are like 6'4 and can still run like a 10'6 or a 10'5 type, type of thing, uh, or just have really good explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. Um, he is a very good basketball player, and I would encourage you guys to go to Huddle and actually watch some of his basketball film. He's got some explosiveness to him. So, I mean, I can see where there's that potential where you could get away playing the rush end spot. But I think ultimately, if I was going to make a comparison with him, I think he's a slightly more athletic Kyle Moore. And that's an easy comparison to make because Kyle Moore was from Houston County, Georgia, and was one of those big early on out-of-state commitments that USC was able to get from the South. You know, they had really a lot of trouble being able to go in the South and recruit defensive linemen, even with the way USC was rolling back then. Because if you remember, Kyle Moore committed right after USC won the Orange Bowl against Oklahoma and they put up 55 on Oklahoma. So that was the night that Kyle Moore called Pete Carroll said, coach, I want to be a Trojan. And oh, by the way, Deshaun Jackson also called USC and told him he wanted to be a Trojan. One worked out, one didn't work out. But Kyle Moore was one of those guys that had a good career at USC. He was a solid five technique. And uh, again, one of those guys that I, I always joke with him, you know, he was always trying to get down to like 260, 255 so he could be faster. And I was always thinking, Kyle, you are you are a five technique. You need to be 280. You need to be more of an anchor. Like you, you're not going to lose a lot of speed. You're you're trying to lose weight, thinking you're going to get a whole lot faster, and it's really incremental as opposed to if you actually put more weight on and you were stronger, you would probably be able to do more damage. But nevertheless, you know, people get it in their minds. The kids get it in their minds. They they are this certain type of player, and so that was kind of always Kyle's thing. Kyle also, by the way, was the first recruit that actually silently committed, uh, not to me, but told me that he was going to USC. I mean, he actually called me back after that conversation, which was one of my first interviews I ever did for the site. And I, I talked to him and I asked him, I, I actually asked him at the end of the conversation, hey, I heard USC got a couple of silent verbal commitments after the game. Do you know who might have said uh, that they were going to you know, be a Trojan kind of off record? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't hear about that. I, I don't know anything about that. I was like, okay, cool. All right. You know, I, I was the first time talking to him. So, I, you know, I didn't re really know him or anything. Didn't have like mm -hmm. a built up relationship with him or anything. So I wasn't going to press him on it. I hung up the phone. He called me right back and he goes, hey, hey, this this is not for the story, right? I go, yeah, not for the story. He goes, yeah, yeah, it was me. I call, <laughs> I call. So he was like one of the first do guys. Think, we, do you think he, he thought you bugged the phone so he had to call back? <laughs> I don't know. But we had a great relationship <laughs> after that. He was, he's such a just honest 
sincere, fun-loving kid, you know, and, and making that move again, you know, from, from Houston County, Georgia, which is in the southern part of Georgia, you know, a little more rural uh, than, than the Atlanta area uh, where Cameron Fountain is from. You know, Count, Cameron Fountain goes to Booker T. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, you know, coming out to L.A., that's not like a big transition for him. Um, it's just one of those things, though. He had a longstanding relationship with the defensive staff at Tennessee who've been recruiting for a long time. The Georgia visit, I feel like Georgia was slow playing him. I feel like Georgia liked him, but Georgia's kind of seeing what else is out there. And they're like, okay, you know, let's just kind of see what we can get. You know, you're defending national champions and you, you're in the South. So you've got a lot of options if you're Georgia along the defensive line. And so I think he was a guy they liked, but I don't know if they're ready to pull the trigger on him. Miami's another school that was also recruiting him. And uh, he didn't have a visit date yet set up for them. But that was another school after him. But I know Tennessee, for a fact, was really on him, liked him, had him very high on their board. But USC just turned a corner and said, nope. And uh, he just loved everything that uh, he saw out here. And, and again, I think, you know, the the, the family and his mom uh, were super, super impressed with uh, the academics and life after football. And it reminded me a little bit of Devon Campbell, you know, when he visited out here, the former five-star off the tackle out of Texas who, you know, that was the the, the last year of Clay. And, and, you know, they brought a couple of those Texas offensive linemen out here and they had uh, a few of them come in for summer visits. And I had uh, reached out to, to Devin uh, and uh, or Devon, excuse me. And I ended up getting his mom and, you know, she was at the airport and we were talking and and she was just like, you know, they were my favorite coming into the visit, you know, just with the academics and everything that they had shown in terms of the numbers and the ranks and, and what they could do for him after football. You know, it's the whole this is a 40 year decision, not a four year decision. And but the difference in that situation is that Devon also had an uncle and he also had some coaches involved and they were much more aware of the football situation and the development. And they just didn't trust that USC was going to be able to develop him for the NFL. So it was one of those things where I, I talked to the mom several times and she was like, you know, and, and like the last couple of times she's like, yeah, don't, don't put that in the article or don't put this in the article because, you know, I get in trouble with, with the family <laughs> because, you know, they, 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 they like other schools. And so you could see there was a little bit of a, a pull on, on Devon and where he was going to go. But here, I think with Cameron, you know, mom was like, Hey, you know, this is, this is it. This is where we need to be. And um, again, it's going to be one of those things, you know, it's, it's, it's an early commitment sort of speak just for being an out of state recruitment. Um, and it's in, you know, the deep South and he could have a big, uh, you know, senior year and what have you. And, and maybe Georgia comes around a little bit and they try to press a little harder. You never know what's going to happen, but certainly a big get for USC. And then again, I think a player that, uh, you know, they're talking about playing Russia and stand up, but I think, you know, lot down the line potential, uh, five technique and, and a, like a really good five technique though. A, a guy that, uh, you know, could be playing at 260 and could be a, a decent pass rusher for you, um, which is, you know, kind of hard. A lot of times you're just using your five technique to anchor. Um, but here he's a guy that could uh, be a legitimate pass rusher with a big body. They're building a Southern front there with a uh, fountain out there from Georgia, Brendan Shelby from Texas. And you have Taka Curtis in the middle from Louisiana. So they're getting some guys out of the South. I did want to circle back to his mom because there was a funny instance on Instagram where there were some volunteer trolls coming at him and his mother when they posted about the commitment. Uh, so shout out to Mrs. Crawford. They had someone post a uh, volunteer 
uh, account posted, how much did USC drop? And she responded to him, numbers on how education is better. Do you want me to send you a pic of y'all number? Because you should be ashamed. Bottom of the barrel ass school. And then he wrote back, what about the number on the paycheck? And she wrote back, uh, some people were defending her that USC's education is so much better than any SEC schools. She said, thank you. Every time I asked about academics, I'm assuming she's referring to Tennessee, they couldn't tell me. So, oh, well, his future will be bright with or without football and USC going to make it happen. So that's education- a good transition to Jarvis Boltwright, who I spoke to uh, Sunday while we were actually at the camp, not to cut you off, but that segue about education And one of the things that Jarvis had told me is that, you know, I'd been on several unofficial visits to other schools and and he, you know, listed all the the Florida schools and a couple of those schools in the SEC and said, you know, maybe they just didn't show me everything that they have to offer academically. But USC just blew them away in terms of just how it would be set up academically and what it was going to do for me. And that's on them. That's on those schools for not, you know, being able to be sort of explicit and detailed into my schedule. And, and, and you know, with USC, it's like you're, you're, you're set up for success and they're very uh, uh, they, they give you a very visual understanding of sort of what your three to four years is going to look like there. And, you know, if that's very important to a, a student athlete, obviously it's going to have a big sway in their decision on a school. Yeah, and that's a good transition to Jarvis Boatwright. He is the final commit we're going to talk about for this cold open. We're over an hour and we're still in the cold open, so you know it's a banger. Six foot one, 170 pound safety out of Clearwater, Florida. Three star prospect in the 24 7 sports rankings, number 47 safety overall. A number 70 prospect out of Florida. A little bit higher in the 24 7 sports composite as a four star recruit, number 426 overall and the number 39 safety prospect. And similar to some guys we talked about, not a ton of film, actually not really no film of of Jarvis Boatwright. He had a knee injury in his junior season, has not uploaded any film from last year. So I was actually watching some scrimmage film from like two years ago. So uh, Andrew Ivins out there in Florida wrote a really nice article about his uh, scouting take on Jarvis Boatwright. You know, not a ton of, verified measurements on him, but obviously USC saw him in person and liked what they saw. Not super big, but he is, he is physical, not a play, not afraid to play in the box. Good quickness, athletic ability played running back out for his Clearwater team as well. And as Andrew Ivans wrote, you know, kind of projects as a strong safety and possibly even nickel for Alex Grinch and his defense, but USC got Jarvis boat, right? Kind of a guy who people thought Florida was the lead for and another one, another kind of surprise that USC was able to pull out of the South. Well, this is another Florida State-USC battle. At the end of the day, it was really more Florida State that Jarvis uh, was leaning towards. And he told me it really came down to Florida State, South Carolina, and USC. And as you said, with the injury, one of the big things that he was – kind of underlining as to why he committed to USC was his relationship with Alex Grinch. I mean, he talked about that a lot. And Alex Grinch over the past two years had been there like five times to his campus. So he'd seen him quite a bit. He developed a very good relationship with him. And he felt like there was loyalty there. 
from USC. And I think that's a big thing when you're talking about a recruit coming from an injury. There is a loyalty factor. There is something to be said for the relationship and, you know, what am I going to get besides football? Because I've had this injury. It's put me on the sideline and I have experienced life without football. And some of these kids don't, you know, and you're coming out of high school and you've never been injured. It's football, football, football is always going to be there. But with some of the kids, when you do have an injury and you actually have to sit out for a certain period of time, you realize how quickly football can be taken away from you. And you're going to have to rely on something else in life as a livelihood. And so I think with Jarvis Boltwright, that was a big deal for him and having that uh, relationship with Alex Grinch and feeling like, you know, USC was really loyal to him. And, and when I asked him about future visits and being out there in Clearwater, Florida, which again, a little honey hole for USC, they keep going back honey to it, hole. and they haven't been able to get anything from it until now, but they go in to get Jarvis Boltwright. And that, to me, it's one of those things where, you know, he said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing his quote here, um, if USC stays loyal to me, I'm going to stay loyal to USC. And feeling the the relationship that I have with Alex Grinch, I know that's not going to be a question, is basically what he said. So okay. it, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you – you know, wonder, you know, how much have they talked about the the safety position with him and who else they want to bring in, et cetera, because all those little things can become, you know, kind of chasms with uh, the relationship in, in terms of uh, where you are in the pecking order within a class. And this is going to be a class where USC has multiple safeties. So we'll see how that goes moving forward. But I think, yeah, from a recruitment hindsight standpoint, he just felt like he had a really good relationship with his position coach and that everything behind the scenes outside of football really sort of came together. So this was one where they definitely made up some ground on Florida State. Uh, they might have made up some ground on South Carolina. He's a guy that, you know, we just didn't know a whole lot about, still really don't know a whole lot about, as Chris said, you know, injured his junior year and um, hasn't done a lot of interviews. I was shocked to even get him on the phone. I called him while I was leaving the elite camp at USC. So I was kind of scrambling and I had a phone number for him. I'm like, this dude's not going to pick up the phone. You know, I, I've never talked to him, never, never called him. He doesn't have a lot of interviews up on 24 seven, which is to suggest that he's not a guy that talks on the phone very much, but I was able to get a phone number and I just called him out of the blue, I actually called him on, uh, uh, on JP's phone so I could record it with my phone and he picked up right away. And so we, we had a great conversation and we chatted a little bit and he was really excited about USC. And, and like I said, he was very genuine in uh, talking about his relationship with Alex Grinch and talking about how he felt like USD had some loyalty towards him. And, um, you know, the fact that it, there was there was just so much that they offered and so much that they gave him to think about, I think, outside of football. And he's like, you know, I've visited all these other schools. I've been to all these other schools. And, I mean, they just haven't talked about some of this stuff. And that's not my fault. That's their fault sort of things. That, that, I think that was sort of his, this is why I'm saying no, because, you know, he's got relationships, I'm sure, with some of these other coaches. And, and certainly, you know, they felt very good about him uh, throughout the, the, the offseason and the spring recruiting him. And that's the difficult thing for all these kids is, you know, making those phone calls and, and telling people no, because you always in recruiting have to tell more people no then yes, you can only tell one school yes, and you've got you know however many scholarship offers you've got to make those calls and, and tell all those other coaches no, and it's a difficult thing for a seventeen-year-old. Gerard, we always knew you were going to get him. You have the ability to get people that no one else thinks that they're going to be able to get. Remember that one official visit 
summer you were just unconscious that one week and got literally like everyone you got like nine out of ten kids yeah i mean it just it's honestly just a shot in the dark sometimes um you know just seeing who picks up and who wants to talk and who doesn't want to talk but it's a grind it's hard it's it's a difficult thing because a lot of these kids and they go back home and they're just they want to decompress and they don't want to really talk a whole lot about the experiences and everything they did, you know. And so you got to remember back when you were like 16, 17 year old and you came home after a night out and, you know, your mom and dad wanted to talk about everything you did. And you're just like, I, I was cool. I, I had a good time. You know, it's like, well, what'd you do? I don't know. I was just out, man. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into all of it. And that's kind of sort of I think how these kids are. They're like, hey, man, I was out. I was I was at USC. It was great. It was a great experience. You know, some kids are more detailed than others. And it's like, you know, what's the highlight of the visit for you? And and, and I've gotten a lot of everything's lately, <laughs> which is OK. <laughs> give me an example. Like everything is cool. And I'm sure Trojan fans are excited to hear that you loved everything. But you know, give me something specific and why was that something that stood out? And so you have to kind of follow up and sometimes it's easier than others. All right, Gerard, that is five up, five down. We are over the hour mark and that kind of brings us to the end of the cold open. So now the real show begins. So where do you want to go from here now that uh, we've talked about Jarvis Boatwright, Cameron Fountain, Hayden Treader, Dakota Fields and Mana Itete? Where are we going to go? Well, let's look back okay. last week and talking a little bit about the official visitors and categorizing them because there are some guys, while there are some emotes floating around on the interwebs, there are some guys that have not committed publicly. And there is obviously more visitors than just the five that we spoke about. So I think we need to still go in to talking a little bit about where USC sits with those recruits as well as kind of, I guess, grading maybe or, or looking back at how we categorize these recruits uh, ourselves. For sure. And if you listen to last week's episode, we put these guys into three categories. The close category, these are guys that were high priority, that have been on campus multiple times, and we thought USC was in a great position to seal the deal on this visit. We had a wild card category, and those were kids, you know, you, don't really know what's going to happen. You know, Hayden Treader was in this group. This is a group that, you know, you wouldn't be shocked if they committed. You don't really know much about them. And this is sort of, you know, USC's first introduction to them. So it was a, it was an interesting category. And then the last ones was kind of playing from behind. These were prospects that we didn't think USC was, you know, right there at the forefront, unlike the closer group. But, you know, they had some ground to make up for these guys. And this visit was going to do... A lot of that. Now, Gerard, when we when I asked you, you know, what would kind of be a good number? I kind of threw out three. If USC could get three, we thought this would be a really good weekend. Well, they went and smashed that with the five public that they have and then sort of two that are outstanding from this weekend. And that's not even counting the one back from May. So we have three emojis un, unaccounted for. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into into the overall grade for the weekend and the superlatives. But we said three would be a good out of this bunch, but here we are with five commitments. Now let's go back to the closer group. There was four in there. There was four-star running back, Longview, Texas, Taylor Tatum. There was four-star Georgia tight end, Walter Matthews. There was obviously Dakota Fields, and there was Draper, Utah, Corner Canyon, four-star offensive tackle, Isaiah Garcia. Those were our four kind of closers. We know publicly USC has one of them in the fold with Dakota. 
Walter Matthews, Taylor Tatum, what we've heard, USC did a very good job with both of those guys and also with Isaiah Garcia. So it looks like USC did their job with this top group. Yeah, and speaking of doing their job and, you know, talking about getting kids on the phone, big shout out to the 24-7 Sports Network. Huge shout out. Steve Wilfong, Greg Biggins, Blair Angulo, um, Brandon Huffman, you know, everybody coming together, team effort. To Brian Doan as well. Brian Doan as well to get all these guys on the phone. I, I think the only outstanding interview we don't have from this past weekend is Fox Crater. And he's committed to Oregon, so he's laying low about that. <laughs> they took his phone. Interview. They destroyed his phone. Yeah. Um, you know, he evidently uh, did not uh, tell Oregon he was going on that visit until the week of, uh, which is, hey, you know, I mean, he did give him a heads up. But uh, that's one of those things where you probably don't want to necessarily ruffle any feathers, no pun intended, uh, with uh, that visit down to USC, publicly talking about how good the visit probably was. Because it probably was a great visit. Now, whether that means he's going to decommit from Oregon or not is another story. But nevertheless, uh, it's one of those things out of respect of the coaching staff at this point being a commitment. He probably doesn't want to go on record saying too many nice things about USC. So I digress. Going into the closer section uh, as we talked about and this was really the section where we thought usc it was usc and somebody else all right it was usc and another school and there was a decision that could be made between these two schools was it coming you know after the weekend or were there still going to be visits that would subsequently follow we didn't know it depended on you know what recruit you're talking about but nevertheless sort of top two if you will with usc and another school and for taylor tatum we felt that it was probably USC and Michigan were the two schools that were battling out with him. And you could probably substitute maybe some other schools in there as being, um, you know, in it to some extent. But Michigan and USC seem to be setting the pace in his recruitment for the most part since probably the end of February, March. And what's very interesting on his recruitment right now is it sounds like Michigan is pivoting a little bit at the running back position, and they are going to bring in Bishop Gorman, three-star running back, Micah Capana, who is going to visit, I believe, this weekend. And he was not originally thought to be a guy that was going to come in this early, that Michigan was going to put a lot of focus on because they felt good about Taylor Tatum. But I think at this point, from what I'm hearing, is that they do feel like Taylor Tatum might be slipping a bit and that USC is the lead dog. Now, there are other schools, as I said, that were sort of on the peripheral, some interesting names that might slide in there, Georgia being one of them, Texas being another one. Texas A&M has been mentioned as well, but I think Texas and Georgia are the most prominent other contenders uh, for Taylor Tatum. Now, what's interesting there is that Jarrett Gibson, who is a four-star, he used to be the number one ranked running back in the country, according to 24-7, but he has been overtaken by Taylor Tatum, who is now ranked the number one running back in the nation. Jarrett Gibson took an official visit to Georgia last weekend, and I believe he's got Texas scheduled for June 23rd. So there is a little bit of a you know, sort of, you know, how does Georgia feel about Gibson? How does Texas feel about Gibson? I think both of those schools are a little later on Taylor Tatum. You know, Texas, obviously being the local school, has a relationship there. But I think in terms of the press 
and how hard they've recruited Taylor Tatum. I have always gotten the feeling that Jarrett Gibson was kind of their number one guy and the guy they went after harder initially. But now that George is in the mix with Jarrett Gibson, they're probably going, well, just in case we're not able to get Gibson, let's make sure we've got our foot in the door with Taylor Tatum. So that's going to be something to watch a bit. But in terms of what we feel, and we could be wrong on this, this is just to read, the greatest competition for Taylor Tatum, it was Michigan. Michigan show, seems to be showing their cards a little bit that they're not mm. as confident as they once were. So that's an interesting one. Um, Hiram, Georgia four-star tight end, Walter Matthews, another guy, as you said, Chris, been on campus at USC multiple times. Uh, we've heard for the last few months now, it's just going to be Florida and USC, and I believe he's actually even publicly stated that he's down to Florida and USC see a lot of good vibes about him coming away from his official visit to USC, but it seems like Florida has been able to stay in it for their weekend this weekend. That's the thing that they, they wanted to bring him in right after the USC official visit. And it looks like they're going to be able to do that. So we'll see, you know, how his visit goes to Florida, how it changes things. I think coming into the weekend, Florida was the leader. I think coming out of this past weekend, USC is the leader. So, you know, again, this is why you have official visits. So whereas in some of these situations, USC was able to close the deal immediately. This is one where, you know, he's going to go to Florida now. He's going to be on campus for 48 hours with his family. He's been to Florida, you know, several times before, but it's an official visit. So, you know, maybe it swings back to Florida. I would expect him to probably have some type of decision uh, within the following weeks of uh, that official visit to Florida this weekend. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Gardena, Sarah, four-star cornerback, Dakota Fields. We already talked about that a little bit. Closer really between Oregon and USC and Oregon, uh, you know, didn't 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 stand a chance, I guess, <laughs> during the, during the uh, official visit weekend and he ends up committing to USC. Um, Isaiah Garcia, uh, we talked about going into the weekend, Utah, Oregon being there. Um, talked about his visit to USC, uh, to Blair and Gulo, raved about the visit, uh, said all the right things. He's still going to take that official visit to Oregon and still take that official visit to Utah. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Um, and so that was that's that's the closure group. Wildcard group, Ingle, Colorado, Cherry Creek, offensive tackle. Wait, can I, can I play my audio for this one? We talked about it. Go ahead. Wildcard, bitches! Cut the brakes, baby. Wild there card. you go. So, you know, wild card, we already talked about it. You know, he never <laughs> been into to USC, hadn't taken that visit yet. Uh, we felt like USC was in a good position for him and they could close. But again, you know, because he'd never been to L.A. and he'd and he never really been on campus, it's kind of hard to put him in that uh, that closer category. And then playing from behind, man, we had that list of of, of various different prospects. And, you know, with the Tite, again, I feel like, you know, Florida State was was definitely dog and USC just comes. I don't want to say out of nowhere. I mean, they were obviously a school that, you know, he he wanted to visit and, and he'd taken an unofficial visit there. And we'd spoken to him after his unofficial visit to USC and he liked USC, but they just did not make the the, the impact uh, on his recruitment that they did with the official visit. You know, much different uh, situation and, and just different in terms of uh, his feeling coming away from that trip. And so uh, a guy, though, that has been around on a, on a bunch of different unofficial visits, so it's not like he hasn't seen other schools, um, but certainly with USC, the official visit was much different than the unofficial visit, and they were able to close the deal. So that's one 
if you want to say you guys were wrong, we were we were wrong on that one for sure. Manasseh Tete, and I would bet you that everybody else was wrong on him as well, regardless of what they try to say in hindsight. Hey, we can admit we're wrong, Gerard. We 100%. have zero ego over here. We're we're one stars, baby. We have zero ego. <laughs> well, we we don't really have crystal balls, and we're not fortune tellers, and that's uh, not uh, what uh, you sort of build your reputation on. But nevertheless. Um, you know, Santa Ana Monterey, uh, cornerback, I think, you know, with Xavier Brown, another guy like is USC in the top two. I, I didn't feel like they were in the top two, top three even going in to the official visit. Now, where are they? Uh, you know, I think potentially top, top three. three. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think potentially, um, you know, they, they might be top two because it's like, so, OK, Ohio State, Alabama. I've always heard Alabama with him. I, I know there was talk about Oregon. I never heard anything about Oregon with him. Every time I talked to anybody that was relatively close to him or had talked to him that would have some type of insight into his recruitment, the vibe was like, okay, there's always like going to be an SEC school there. And when he took all those visits and he was playing with the South Florida Express, it was all sort of like, yeah, the SEC, SEC, got to go to the SEC to get developed. Okay, Elias Ricks, you know, how did that, that, how'd that play out? So you do have to kind of look at that. And I think USC has presented themselves as a very realistic option to stay home. So I think, you know, while you could say he's got a top three, I think the decision is, do I stay home or do I go away from school? And Shotgun said it when we were doing uh, the podcast and, and he was filling in, you know, he had talked to Xavier Brown a couple of times and he never got the feeling like he really wanted to stay home. It was always sort of grass is green on the other side. I want to go to these other schools that are producing all these NFL draft picks and what have you. Uh, but USC did make a big impression uh, this past weekend, but he was low key and everything I could get was just, you know, it just was a hard read. There was, there was nothing overt that gave people the sense like, okay, yeah, you know, he's, he's more serious about USC than, uh, than, than any other school. Uh, but I think the fact that he has now eliminated Oregon. So we talk about, you know, I never really got the sense like Oregon was this big player. Oregon did. <laughs> Oregon felt <laughs> like they were definitely a big player and their fan base felt like, you know, they were maybe the lead school because when Dakota Fields decommits, or I shouldn't, well, he was a silent there, but I mean, when he commits to USC, of course, the Oregon fan base is like, well, wow, that doesn't matter because we got Zayman Brown and we've got, you know, other guys that are higher on the board, blah, 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 which I would argue, you know, I could see where you could say Zayman Brown might be higher on the board, um, but I don't know about the other guys, you know, I mean, Dakota Fields is a very, very good player, um, but it was interesting because we talked, you know, and during this segment about having Zayman Brown and Dakota Fields on campus at the same time and how, you know, both are looking at Oregon, or at least at that point. They were both looking at Oregon and how that might play for Oregon because, you know, there's sort of maybe an either or Oregon saying the same thing to both guys. You're our number one guy. You know, that that's always an interesting thing. And I'm sure USC had that in the back of their mind. I don't know if that was part of, you know, talking to those guys and, and part of the recruiting. Uh, but, you know, that's something that, you know, guys can communicate, talk to each other like, oh, yeah, I got this great relationship with this coach or that coach. And it's like, yeah, he, you know, he said this, that and the other. And then the other kids like, well, yeah, he told me that, too. So what's going on? So, yeah, that, that was an interesting dynamic. USC having both of them on campus at the same time. They get the commitment from Fields. Uh, they got some good vibes from Zabian Brown, just judging from the article that uh, Greg Biggins wrote. But Alabama, Ohio State, still there. 
And I think, you know, Alabama, I don't know. I feel like they've kind of been that school for a little bit for him. So I'm not sure if USC can overcome that. We'll see. Cameron Fountain was in this group, absolutely playing from behind with Tennessee. Uh, I don't know who else was in there. Uh, like I said, Georgia had a visit scheduled. Miami's been recruiting him. I know Auburn was kind of floating around in there as well. But it was Tennessee and Tennessee to lose. We could have said he was a closer because maybe, you know, USC is the next school. But I felt like there was such a big gap there between USC and Tennessee that they were just playing from behind. That's the best way to describe the recruitment. And holy crap, man, they just uh, <laughs> they 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 made up that ground and then some. So uh, you know, we'll see. You know, throughout the recruitment, we don't want to be naive and say, okay, you know, it's it's a done deal. Obviously, it's not a done deal until you sign on the dotted line, as Chris. Uh, because only one thing counts in this life: get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Line that is dotted, Gerard. Which is dotted. It has to be a dotted line. Can't be a solid line. They're tricking you. If it's solid, it doesn't. It's not legally binding. I guess, right? No, I, don't yeah, know. I think that holds up in court. Okay. So you know, Jarvis Boatwright. We talked about him a bit with Florida State and uh, in South Carolina. Um, somebody that we haven't really talked a whole lot about, Jalen McLean. A lot of feel there. You know, it's more like a Penn State thing. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I that one's kind of just a, another one, kind of like Jarvis Boatwright to some extent just kind of a name for USC and Caleb Reed, you know, that's another guy that uh, like, you know, what's going on with Caleb Reed. We put him in the playing from behind category because right now Kentucky is considered the leader, but a lot of people feel like Kansas state ends up being the school that nabs him. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't go to camps. Uh, he's a guy that's hard to get a hold of. So again, getting a read without even talking to him is, is difficult. You tend to sort of try to get information from secondhand sources and, and maybe some of the people involved recruiting him or involved in his recruitment. And right now it's still a matter of trying to gain some, some intel. So that's another guy we haven't got a hold of. So it is actually Fox Crater and Caleb Reed, uh, the uh, defensive end, 6'4", 215 pounds from St. Louis. And so uh, that's kind of the group. That's how they were categorized. We actually didn't put Elijah Newby in a category uh, because he actually, I think he announced that he was going to officially visit USC when we were doing the podcast. So we didn't get a chance to actually talk about him. Another guy that a lot of people kind of feel like, okay, probably ends up at Penn State. But, you know, USC turned the corner with so many of those type of players where there's just assumptions based on where they're located and the schools that they visited unofficially the most, which stands to reason, right? That's that's not illogical. But nevertheless, USC is doing some things right now where they are impressing these kids with their presentation enough that it is changing the game a bit. Yeah, and one funny thing I did wanted to add on Elijah Newby, shout out to the USC student section Twitter group and sidelines USC. They brought this up of his captions from his visits. Uh, so he has Boston College. He just had the little eagle emoji, not committed. Huskers had the little corn in the X, not committed. And then he had the we are with the blue and uh, white hearts for his picture there. But then with when it comes to his USC visit, he he did not just do an emoji. He wrote. An unforgettable journey begins, standing in awe of USC on my unofficial visit, where dreams collide with destiny. The Trojan spirit beckons, and the path of greatness unfolds before me. The decision lingers in the air. The future holds its secrets. Stay tuned as the chapters of my story unfold. So it was just, like, really funny wow. seeing seeing the three other uh, visit 
that he uh, visit uh, captions or lack of captions, and then he writes, uh, you know, something that Hemingway would uh, be envious of for his uh, USC yeah. visit. <laughs> Very poetic. <laughs> uh, a bit of a dissertation there on his visit to USC. Now, you know, it was, I, I believe that was his first official visit. I can't remember if he took a visit in May. But I think that was his first official visit. So obviously, yeah, I think these are just past visits, but just funny to see that maybe, you know, we are will get something as poetic as that. But it is just funny seeing those in uh, contrast to his caption for his official for USC. Yeah. And uh, Gavin Morris, uh, player development staff member, assistant AD, uh, also uh, put out a little kind of uh, I think it was like a retweet of his Instagram pictures or whatever he had up there. And so definitely some good vibes about Elijah Newby, a, a sort of, you know, a guy that USC's been on early, right? And 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 certainly seems to be a priority recruit, uh, regardless of you know only being 6'3, 185 linebacker, because it's a little different type of linebacker than we've seen USC recruit. But uh, nevertheless, Roy Manning went out there like the first week of May evaluations, which is really the back end of April, and was in Connecticut. <laughs> oh, going. Connecticut's the first place you go to when you're on the road. I mean, maybe you're just trying to go as far east you can and work your way back, but he was there to see Elijah Newby. And so that tells you that USC likes him. They scheduled that official visit for this weekend. Um, they like him and they're on him and he likes USC. And so uh, we'll see how that one goes. You know, if he's uh, going to take all of his visits, I got a feeling he's probably not going to take five official visits or even four this summer. I think he'll take maybe a couple, maybe one other. And uh, those schools are going to have to they're going to have to do what USC did. You know, they raised the bar. And that goes back to the debate that we had quite a bit last summer. And there's been some banter about that as we come closer to the official visit circuit of this summer. Last visit and how, you know, there's been so many questions about why isn't USC push harder for the last week of official visits? You know, their big week is really the third week for official visits. Why wouldn't you make uh, the last weekend where you can close and you can be the last school in those kids' ears? That's your big official visit weekend. You know, that's what Ohio State does. That's what several schools have done. It looks to me, and if you look over at Clemson and some of the commitments that they got with guys like Sammy Brown, five-star linebacker from mm -hmm. Georgia, the first weekend might be the weekend that you should <laughs> be arguing you should get those visits. And I think perhaps it's because kids are taking so many unofficial visits during the year and you know all the way from January up until you know the the spring games these kids are taking multiple visits you know and it goes back even into their sophomore junior years so they are a little ahead of the process than they have been in previous years and so the first weekend you know last year USC was 4 for 4 on their first June official visit weekend. You know, they're able to get Tackett Curtis, which was a huge head-to-head -head battle with Ohio State. Wisconsin was there as well, but it was really Ohio State USC and USC was able to win that battle. Shout out to Chris Trevino who called that one. Uh, I was a little more skeptical on that. They got Kate Eldridge. Uh, they got um, Tobias Raymond and they got Grant Bucky who ended up, you know, decommitting later on and going to UCLA. But at that time, they got him committed as well. That was a, a four for four weekend for them. So they're looking pretty good for the first weekend of June this year as well. That might be the talking point. Whereas, you know, you don't need the last visit. You don't want the last visit because at that point, the kid's already going to be committed somewhere else.
Does my Tackett Curtis bet make up for the Devin Kirkwood bet? Is that, do those cancel each other out, do you think? Well, thank God for you it wasn't a bet because you would have been <laughs> bankrupt right out of the gates with Devin Kirkwood and you wouldn't have enough money to bet on Tackett Curtis. But the forecast and prediction, yeah, for sure, because you definitely Let's go. felt good about Tackett Curtis and, and kept pushing back on me where I was like at a 40%. You're like, dude, I think USC might be the lead school here. And, and it was just one of those things, well, hey, you know what? I'll believe it when he commits to USC and he committed to USC and not only committed to USC, signed with USC. And that is another thing that we should talk about with all of these official visits and subsequent commitments early on in the summer. So there's obviously questions there. And again, we don't want to be naive and just act like, okay, recruiting shut down. These kids turned off their phones. They changed their numbers. They've moved addresses and they're not going to continue to be recruited by other schools. Of course they are. And there's going to be points in time throughout the season. If USC stumbles at all, there's going to be questions and there's going to be potential instances where maybe a kid goes on an unofficial visit to go see a game with some teammates. I mean, there's a lot of these sort of little storylines that can pop up from now until signing day. But what you do want to also acknowledge is the fact that USC defended their verbal commitments from last year extremely well. Mm-hmm. You look at guys like Braylon Shelby, head-to-head with Texas. USC is able to get his commitment over Texas. You don't think Texas kept on him throughout the whole season? He was dangling out there in Texas for Texas to be able to swoop in and try to get him away from USC, and they weren't able to do it. Look at Jacoby Lane. That was a kid that took an official visit to Texas after his official visit to USC. Arizona State gets a new coaching staff. They make him a priority recruit. They get him up there for an unofficial visit. We kept hearing right before uh, the early signing period he was going to go up there for an official visit. He postpones his signing, and he doesn't sign on the early signing period. He ends up being a guy that's backed up into January, and there's a lot of questions about, oh, man, is USC going to be able to hold off Arizona State and or Texas? They were. So we see a pattern. Curtis, LSU was banging down his door trying to get back in with him. Absolutely. So USC has done a good job holding on to these guys that they had committed over the summer. And certainly an 11 season win, 11 season, an 11 win 11 season, 11 season. This is what season is this again, Chris? Is it the first season, second episode? Um, but no, 11 win season helps and, and certainly how you play on the field and the, the momentum of the program. But USC didn't end the season very well. You know, they did have those losses, uh, but they were still able to hold on and close really strongly. And I think, you know, that is a big deal when you raise that question. You know, are they going to be able to hold on to, to Dakota Field? Are they going to be able to hold on to Cameron Fountain? Well, I mean, the empirical evidence shows that they did a good job and they kept recruiting those guys hard throughout the season last year. So you would expect some of that to carry over this year. Are you ready to get into grades and superlatives for this first explosive weekend for USC recruiting? The question is, are you ready? I'm always ready. If I wake up ready, I never have to get ready. So I'm always ready. Gerard, I think it's pretty simple when we look at it from a grading standpoint, before we go into that, just we need to talk about the impressive jump USC has made in the recruiting rankings because they started the day at what, 57, 54, outside of the top 50. And, you know, they had more decommitments going into this month than anything. And they had lost a lot of momentum. And then 
by the end of Monday or was it Tuesday? I think it was Monday. By Tuesday, they are sitting at number 21 in the nation, just outside of the top 20 with Dakota, Cameron. Now there's two top highest rated commitments coming on the board and just filling out now at number uh, or with eight commitments in fold and just a ton of momentum off that off that. And if we're not even counting, obviously we're not counting the two outstanding ones from this weekend. So USC, you know, firmly might be in that top 15, depending on which one of those names is secretly committed. And whenever they do make their commitment public, you know, USE might've ended up in the top 15 when it's all said and done after this first weekend. And Gerard, you put that summer forecast out. We talked about it. I think we need to raise the bar and, you know, move the goalposts a little bit of uh, uh, the potential for USC for this summer. Certainly with the potential number that they end up at the end of summer. I think we were talking 12, maybe 14, where now you're probably talking closer to like maybe 16, 17, maybe coming out of the summer. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how things are sort of sorted out uh, on the board, you know, as to, okay, well, we got this guy now. And, and maybe they didn't feel like they were going to get that guy and now they have him. So now how does that shift the board to a certain extent? You know, you go in, to the uh, official visit process. And I think you've seen a little bit of a pecking order just in how things were scheduled, in my opinion. Um, that's kind of what we saw uh, perhaps with Christian Clark, the running back out of Phoenix, where I was surprised that they were going to bring him in on May because I felt like, okay, the feeling was they wanted to see what was going to happen with Taylor Tatum, you know, and kind of make everything happen. And the dominoes were going to fall after Taylor Tatum basically made a decision or, or gave the coaching staff a certain vibe and everything sort of came afterwards. And so, you know, they seem to push back Christian Clark's official visit. And now it doesn't sound like he's completely uh, out of it in terms of maybe still visiting USC. I've talked to a couple sources and there is still potential, but I would think it probably happened on the 23rd. You know, I think it would be pushed back just to kind of, again, see what happens with Taylor Tatum. So yeah, you get a huge jump and that's, you know, the story there. Uh, obviously people are saying that this is a historic sort of day or, you know, 48 hours for USC recruiting. I mean, it's a little Johnny come lately uh, statement. If you go back to the national signing days with Pete Carroll, there were some pretty big moves that were made uh, towards the end of the year or the beginning of the year, really, because it was January going in to February. So at the end of the cycle, they had some big days. They had some, some big runs, some big weeks. Um, but certainly this is unique because, A, it's not national signing day. It's summer. And that in itself is modern day recruiting because now most of these kids want to commit during the summer and you've got all these official visits that they're trying to squeeze in during the summer. So it's a reflection of that. B, like you said, USC number 57 in the nation in recruiting in May. And that is something that we talked about last week. We would have never guessed. We would have never forecasted or projected coming out of that season last year. It just seemed like, wow, I mean, you know, what, what's what what's going on? Like I could see where they had six if they had eight, but to only have three commitments coming in in the month of May 
uh, was surprising, you know, to me. And, and, and as you stated, really to that point within the year, had more decommitments than commitments going into June. You had uh, Dylan Williams, uh, the four-star linebacker at Long Beach Poly, who decommitted. Jason Robinson, uh, the wide receiver, decommitted. Aaron Wright out of the 2025 class had decommitted. And Aaron Butler had decommitted. So it was really in terms of momentum and in terms of the narrative, you have to understand why Trojan fans had some trepidation as to what's going on with recruiting. Why has this turnaround, you know, despite the loss in the Sugar Bowl, despite the losses to, to Utah, it's still this 11-win season was way above the expectations of what people had for Lincoln Riley's first year. I think we all felt like, hey, man, eight wins, nine wins would be huge. And to win 11 games and to be as good as they were uh, with all those transfers and kind of throwing that roster together, I think went above and beyond. But again, you know, Trojan fans are used to excellence. They are used to a very, very high standard. And the context of this high standard has to be a little different than the Pete Carroll years because you're butting up good season after good season, and you're not coming away from a four-win year season. You're not coming away from, since sanctions, some pretty mediocre football played all along the way and some really bad decisions from the administration. And so that, you know, the, the tradition in the national championships and Reggie Bush and everything that had gone in to that run has been forgotten for the large part. And a lot of these kids, particularly on the West Coast, they're talking more about Oregon, if not Alabama, if not Ohio State, because those have been the winning programs and those are the programs that are putting the most players into the NFL. So, yes, uh, in terms of the time of year, very different, uh, very unique, and it's a very pleasant surprise you know, I think uh, particularly this week, which, again, isn't necessarily even the big weekend for USC football recruiting. You know, we look at the mm -hmm. 16th as being that big weekend, whether it is, uh, you know, set up to be the big weekend or not. We're not we're not really sure yet. I mean, if, if this is like because they have spread it out a bit more, you know, they are going to have a couple of visitors uh, this weekend. They're going to have some visitors on the 23rd. And, and obviously they had some visitors in May. So, you know, they have spread things out a little more. But still the 16th, you've got some heavy hitters coming in. And uh, that's kind of sort of where, you know, maybe the the the, the whether this is a, a good class or a great class, you know, it's defined by that weekend still. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of looking forward, I, we gave something like a potential 260 grade uh, coming out of the summer. And that 260 grade, I mean, if you look at it right now, and, and you know, it doesn't really make sense to look at it right now because we're going to see schools like Georgia and Ohio State get more commitments. And so that, that number is going to change. But, you know, a 260 grade would put them in the top 10. Mm -hmm. um, and with the grades, you do also have to remember, though, it, I think the average is really the top 18 in the class. So if you have 25 in the class, 26 in the class, they're diminishing returns on everything above your top 18 prospects. So that's also something to keep in mind. So you get to that 18 number, it's really the best 18 that you have versus the next school's best 18. And, and I could be incorrect about that. If the number is maybe changed, maybe it's 17 or it's 19, I, I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to talk to the people that do those calculations with 24-7. But I know that at, at one point, that was sort of where the formula began. It wasn't you know, a, a number of around quantity. It was a number about quality. And that's sort of where it's built on. So um, you could still see USC just catapulting themselves, even with the 260 grade, you know, um, come signing day, the schools that are usually up in the top two, top three 
are in that 300 range. So, and, and, and you know, again, we'll see how it all plays out for USC. But, uh, yeah, that in terms of the rating, you know, the, the 260-something could still be accurate. You know, it could still be around there. But in terms of the total number, yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at, at definitely more than a dozen. And that seemed like a, a number that, you know, maybe was a little bit of a stretch when we were looking at who was visiting uh, and only having three commitments. Speaking of three, going back to sort of the emoji tracker of it all, USC still has technically three Lincoln Riley emojis that are not accounted for. There's still that one from May 2024th that he posted that, as far as we know, none of the ones that over, obviously, this past weekend were that emoji. And since USC has picked up those five, um, um, Itite Ite being the last one, there have been two more emojis from Lincoln Riley. So there, there are still two outstanding from this past weekend. So a lot of momentum, Gerard. And I did want to ask about momentum and sort of the optics when it comes to other prospects in the class. What does it do for USC to open with a weekend where they go bananas over a 48-hour uh, window and pick up five seven kids and all the other kids coming in for the next weekend or the big weekend in two weeks get to see that and just being a part of, you know, that wave that get on the wave, you know, it's kind of like when you're out going to a nightclub, you know, you don't want to go to a nightclub that has no one in it. It's not popping inside. You want to go to the one where there's a line out front and you see people having fun. That kind of feels like what USC has built over the first week. They've created some buzz in their class People want to jump in, be a part of that is what it kind of feels like with this opening week, opening month, uh, a holiday built. Did you see the tweets from Marcellus Williams and yeah. Kingston Beliamuasa? Get kids talking like that. And that is what a weekend like that does. You know, it changes the narrative. It changes the feel. It's what did those kids see? You know, what did they experience? That's, that's, I want to be a part of a winning group. You know, I want to be associated with winners. And that was one of the things going into this weekend, not having a quarterback commit, not having a big group of commits. Um, two of your commits are out of state guys, uh, Joy Elson up in Oregon and Brian Jackson in McKinney, Texas, and not having like this big group text of guys that are talking and sort of riling themselves up into this sort of mantra of, yeah, we want to go to USC. We want to turn things around. We want to win a national championship. And you had a little bit of that in the 2023 class because you had Malachi Nelson, you had Zach Branch, you had Makai Lemon that are already committed. Uh, but this class didn't have it. So that was a question mark as to, you know, how do you build momentum? How do you kind of get those guys talking together? And the answer is, it didn't matter. It really just didn't matter very much. You know, Cameron Fountain wasn't in like this bigger group text with a bunch of USC commits and just decided, you know, I, I, I like these guys. I vibe with these guys. That all happened on campus. You know, these guys vibe with the current team. These guys vibe with the coaching staff. And now you do have a little bit more of a group that can sort of feed onto itself, basically snowball. And, you know, that's, I think, what the big 
Golden Hour Weekend was about last year. You know, it was about that momentum and bringing everybody together, sort of trying to build camaraderie and a team within a team. And you get guys that want to play with each other and they're having a good time. They're like, yeah, why, why shouldn't we do this for the next three to four years? Like, this is cool. Like, I dig this. I, I like everything about it. I like the people here. And, and there's some strategy that goes into that, right? And that has to come from the assistant coaches. But they also got to talk to Annie Hansen and her group and say, you know, who do we think are going to vibe together, right? We don't want to bring guys together that might butt heads or there's personality conflicts. And when you have such a big group, that can be diff difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of how you organize the events, you have the kids together when you don't have them together, when you want to separate them by position, all these different things. This is all a little bit of strategy that you have to consider with these big official visit weekends. And this was this was a decent size weekend, right? This wasn't a small weekend where you only had like three or four guys come in. I mean, you've got 13 guys that come in and you basically get about half of them plus committed. It's a very successful weekend. The ratio is always, you know, if, you, if you've got a weekend where you've got more than, let's say, five guys that come in, you know, you're looking for about 50%. And that's about where they hit. Plus, you know, if you're talking about the two emojis, if, if they, you know, hold up, and, you know, you've got one that uh, from 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 the May weekend, the May pray weekend. Um, th this is, you know, one of those things where I think there is definitely momentum and it definitely comes into play. USC would love to roll it in this weekend. And I guess we'll probably have some type of preview talking a little bit about this weekend and, and some of the kids that are coming in. But you already see it reverberating and it reverberates in another way. It also reverberates in the you better get on the rocket ship because there's only so many seats kind of way also. And so we might be seeing a little bit of that as well, because there are only enough spots at certain positions and guys are going to see commitments happening. And, you know, if they're coming from places that nobody expected, then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that's a spot gone that I didn't think was going to be gone. I better move up my recruitment, my visit, my decision a little bit. Gerard, just going to throw some superlatives at you. Who was the biggest grab of these five? Who's the biggest win? The biggest win has to be Manasseh Atete. I think, okay. you know, just from the standpoint of the potential there that it could be a left tackle, but getting, you know, one of the best offensive linemen on the West Coast, it's not a great year for offensive linemen on the West Coast. I think with his potential and just the position, he's the biggest figuratively and literally. Who's going to be the hardest to hold on to? Ooh, that's a tough question. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. at face value, I would say Cameron Fountain. He's deep in the South. You know, we know Tennessee has a great relationship with him. They're going to work him. They're going to continue to work him. If Georgia sees him as a tier one guy and all of a sudden something changes, because like I said, I didn't get that vibe maybe that he was that for uh, them uh, like presently uh, and but Micah Williams back in the day was not one of those guys for them at that point in time and when he committed to USC and then they saw him at the beginning of the season they're like we need that guy we want that guy and it shifted now it also shifted on USC's part you know you have Clay Helton get fired they have a terrible year and then Michael Trigg who was his half-brother uh, ends up transferring out. I mean, it all fell apart for USC, right? But um, <laughs> but I think, you know, at face value, you would say Cameron Fountain, but hearing his mom speak so passionately 
about USC and volunteer fans digging such a frivolous hole for themselves <laughs> is kind of um, kind of setting up to where you go. I don't know if Tennessee is really the threat that they once were anymore. So, you know, and you think about Dakota Fields, but Dakota Fields has come out and kind of talked a little bit about why he made the decision he did. And, and you know, it sounds like he feels really good about USC. I, I would say, you know, if he ended up taking some unofficial visit to Oregon, that would definitely give you a lot of hesitation uh, as a Trojan fan. And uh, so, I, I mean, it's tough. I, I, I think it'd probably be between those two. I think Cameron Fountain, mainly because of the potential George, Georgia threat. You know, we know Georgia's going to be good. We know Georgia has been able to recruit well. If Georgia sees him as a priority and a guy that they need, that's going to be a fight. That's going to be a battle for USC. And finally, best chance to get on the field early wow i haven't really given that a ton of thought i would say dakota fields definitely out of that group that's committed dakota fields and he's another huge one for usc certainly um usc's got some good talent in the secondary but i think he is one of the more pure corners that they've brought in uh even with the transfers some of those guys i look at and i go ah I feel like that's a little more of a nickel corner. I feel like that's a guy that's a little bit of a tweener safety, sort of like with Traycon Figgins, um, you know, even with Christian Roland Wallace. It's a physical corner, and he's going to be a corner, but, you know, his physicality and his tackling, you kind of feel like, man, you know, next level, like ultimate ceiling for him may be a little more safety-ish than it is cornerback-ish. And, again, it's about speed. It's about fluidity. It's about ball skills. Um, to be able to play a guy – man coverage, wide side of the field. That is a pure corner. And I think Dakota Fields has that ability. Again, you know, to quote Marvin Pollard, a guy that just rolls out of bed talented. You know, that that's there's things there that you can't teach. And that's what you need for your number one guy. So, you know, he, he would be that guy, I think. And Gerard, what is your overall grade for USC's first weekend? I mean, for me, it's it's got to be an A, right? Got to be an A. Yeah, for sure. Because they turned some guys that they had to make up ground on. And, um, you know, we again, we were talking about you, out of the cornerback position. you got Marcellus Williams, you've got Zambian Brown, and you've got Dakota Fields. Just get one of those guys. Now it looks like th they have a very, very good shot at getting two of those guys. And maybe they do something crazy and they get all three. I don't even know if there's room for all three. But, you know, are you really going to turn around, turn away Sabian Brown? I don't think so. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, with guys like that, with Manasseh Etete, who, you know, looked like he was headed to Florida State, um, you know, they did some things that uh, certainly shook the, 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 the ground of what we thought was going to happen this summer with, with some of these recruitments nationwide. Because you're talking about guys that, you know, it wasn't just a battle with Oregon and some of these situations. It's, you know, battles with schools in the SEC, the ACC, and USC. Uh, they won some of those head to head. So uh, they were able to, uh, you know, to get a little bit of reckoning for Lucas Simmons going to Florida State last year. You know, that was a big one that they lost out on. And they're able to get Jarvis Bolt right. And they're able to get Manasseh Atete. You know, that's, that's huge for them. Um, able to go head to head against Oregon and beat him out for a Dakota field. So what USC did last year, which was really a step in the right direction, was beat Oregon out for offensive linemen. You know, that was a big deal when they were able to get Alani Noah, Michael Benuelos, 
Uh, that was something that, you know, we had not really seen uh, in the Clay Helton era. And now, you know, you're, you're, you're branching out and you're beating them for guys that, again, a lot of people felt like for most of the year, uh, Oregon was the lead dog and you were able to not just close it out, but close it out immediately. You know, there was, there's no doubt there, you know, you take them in on the visit and it's a done deal. Gerard, we have one more talking point before we can get to our first half of the show break, even though it feels like we've already done a full episode. We have to preview USC's upcoming week of official visitors, which is going to be much, much smaller than it was week one. But they are very, very important visitors indeed from the same high school in St. John Bosco up there in Bellflower. So we're going to get into those guys. First, I need to play my... A-I-D-A. Get out there. You got the prospects coming in. You think they came in to get out of the rain? There is no rain in Southern California, Gerard, but USC will be hosting St. John Bosco five-star safety and Georgia commit Peyton Woodyard and his linebacker teammate Kingston Villama-Asa, a high-priority recruit. Both of them are, even though Peyton Woodyard is committed to Georgia. Gerard, very simple categorizing for us here can we both just put them as closers? Because these are guys, you know, USC has been recruiting very, very hard, even though Peyton committed to Georgia. There's at one point we thought USC was the leader for him, have still been in communication, obviously getting an official visit here this upcoming weekend. And then Kingston obviously has been to campus multiple, multiple times down to his final three, which we believe it's closer between a one-on-one battle with Ohio State. You know, I think these both guys are just, let's make it easy on ourselves. Just put them as closers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think, um, you know, Kingston, Valiamuasa, uh, you know, going into the trip, you kind of look at it like a Dakota Field sort of situation where, you know, Ohio State is said to be the leader for a long time now. You know, has that changed more recently? You know, is there something that's happening behind the scenes, despite what we all think and we all assume where, you know, USC is uh, actually already maybe neck and neck? We don't know. But I would actually feel more confident saying that's a possibility than I would have with Fields, you know. So I, I think, you know, USC has been closer here. I think with their last unofficial visit, it seemed to really reverberate with his family. I mean, USC put the full court press almost in on that visit and they had everybody they could possibly get that was uh, related to. To Kingston on that trip, and they had the whole entire football staff there, yeah. uh, really trying to love him up, and so showing that he's a priority, showing that he's their guy, and I think that certainly, yeah, he's in that closer category because you know it does feel like it's USC, Ohio State, and this, you know, he's been to Ohio State, so if he feels it, you know, this could be one of those uh, weekends where it's like, hey, I'm not going to wait until. June 23rd or, or whatever, I think he's uh, visiting Ohio State on their last weekend. I'm ready to shut it down and just go to USC. With Peyton Woodard, same thing. He's been to USC many times. He's been to Ohio State many times. He's been to Georgia many times. The other schools that he's looking at. Um, so he's still committed to Georgia. Had a great uh, official visit to Georgia. You know, USC's obviously got to make up that ground. So I, I guess really for being true to the categories that we had last week, USC's got to make up ground here, but he, even though he's committed to Georgia, it is pretty much, it feels like, you know, going to be like a USC type of Georgia thing. Um, I know Notre Dame was in there previously. There were other schools that were in there and he's going to visit other schools, but it's kind of one of those, do I want to stay from close to home or I want to go, you know, sort of to the, the, the football factory NFL, 
you know, the, the, the national championships, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the one thing that I would say is, and, and we talked about this when he committed last year, and we sat here on this podcast, we said, yeah, you know, committed to Georgia, we'll see, you know, so none of this taking other official visits and looking around is a surprise to us at all. There's Peyton Woodyard's decision that he has to make, and there's also Georgia's board and what Georgia's doing and what guys they want to take, what their plan A is as well, which we don't know. You know, I don't have an idea of how many safeties Georgia wants to take, but they've already got a couple of guys committed. They've got a couple other guys that they have brought in on visits. And so there is a number standpoint, you know, when you're the defending national champion and you've recruited, you've got the number one recruiting class in the nation. Even a guy like Peyton Woodyard might be a guy that gets pushed out of the class. So there's also that aspect that we have to look at. So, I mean, with Peyton and his family, it's do we want to stay home? Do we want to play for USC or do we want to go elsewhere? Because it, it feels like that's really what it's coming down to. So from a closing standpoint, you would say that from the standpoint of he's committed to Georgia and you have to make up ground with Georgia, you would say they're playing from behind. But once again, you know, I, I think there's maybe a little more going on to it. And is it all completely under Peyton's control? No, I don't think so. I, I think they're also sort of the – okay, to, to quote, you know, Jarvis Boatwright, you know, he's been he's been loyal to Georgia, but will Georgia be loyal to him <laughs> mm-hmm. is sort of, you know, what you look at when you're talking about Peyton Woodyard and that commitment. And I just want to say with Kingston, obviously he has the – USC has the better chance of making the move – USC has the better chance of making the move with Kingston as he's an uncommitted player. But the last time I talked to him, he talked about how – USC really opened up their book with academics and it was quote eye opening to him what USC has to offer. So I'm assuming they're going to give him similar to the Cameron Fountain, you know, movement and or pitch and really hit hard on the academics with him and his parents and his mom. And we know his parents have one school that they favor the more. So, you know, it's going to be USC, the Notre Dame and then Ohio State. USC obviously has an academic advantage when you're putting it up against Ohio State. So I assume academics are going to be a big part of this pitch when he comes on campus this weekend. And Gerard couldn't, uh, just to look at Peyton Woodyard, couldn't this also just be a long-term play too? You don't have to flip him now, but right. just to get the, just to get that visit in the back of his mind. And then, you know, you know, come November, come, you know, whatever, you know, you know, he shows up at the, the sidelines of the Washington game. Or, or what have you. So this could be more of a long-term play in terms of not really needing, it's not like he's going to flip at this moment, but it's more so an official visit that plays down the line. Yeah, and I haven't spoken to Peyton in a while. I mean, he's committed to Georgia, obviously, and Greg Biggins, who does a fantastic job for 24-7 Sports, has, has kept up that relationship and, and spoken to him because you know he is a West Coast analyst, he's a national analyst, and with Peyton looking at other schools, including USC, you know he's been talking to him more consistently. Alabama is there with a official visit schedule for June 23rd. Ohio State has their official visit schedule with him for June 16th, and then there's USC who's going to get him in this weekend. I don't know if he's going to take all those official visits. The June 23rd visit, again, I think along with Georgia, there's going to be something to be said for where Alabama's board is at that 
point in time and, um, you know, how they feel about continuing to, to, to push for Peyton Woodyard. Uh, we know with USC, there's a somewhat of a, of a question about that as well, just because you've got something like, what was it, seven, I think, safeties that are officially visiting um, this summer for USC. So, you know, there, there's those two things that you sort of have to juggle in terms of what Peyton Woodyard's looking at and then also what these other schools are looking at and who commits when. Uh, so USC gets it this weekend right after Georgia. And I think, you know, there's a potential. Uh, and this is why he is in the closing group where they could get him committed and he could shut down immediately. That, I think that's not out of the question. He's always liked USC. He's always spoken really well of USC. There was a point in time last season where I think you and I both heard from sources that Jordan Lockhart and Peyton Woodyard were both guys that there was some talk like maybe they could pull the trigger and commit to USC uh, after one of those official visits. And it never happened, but there was definitely some very positive vibes coming from that side of the fence. Uh, so now we have to see kind of what happens if he goes through those visits. I, I, I feel like, you know, USC, Ohio State, you know, it's funny. We're talking about whether he's a closer or a guy USC's playing from behind. I mean, you could make the argument that maybe – you know, it's not Georgia and USC j just because he's committed to Georgia publicly that maybe, you know, Ohio State's actually a school that is a bigger player for him. You know, I've, I've heard some of that uh, with Kingston, Biliamu Asa, uh, favoring uh, Ohio State for, for a number of months. And, um, you know, Ohio State recruiting St. John Bosco very well. So mm -hmm. Ohio State, you know, is definitely there as well. Um, it's just going to be interesting, again, to see how it all sorts out. Uh, USC with, you know, all these different official visits coming in from various different safeties. You know, you already had Miles Davis, who officially visited USC, the 6185 pound safety prospect from Judson, uh, Converse, Texas. Um, you had, uh, you know, this past weekend with Jarvis Boatwright, who is maybe a little more of a like like Andrew Ivan said, a, a nickel safety. Um, he's a little on the on the lighter side than a Peyton Woodyard, who's who's a bigger, stronger sort of. Uh, strong safety type. Um, and then on the 16th, you know, you've got Marquise Gallegos, who is very high on USC, 6'175 pound safety uh, from West Hills, California. So he's a local kid and a kid that's had a scholarship offer for a, a very long time uh, from USC. And um, I'm looking out to uh, just looking at the, the list if there's uh, anybody else who comes to mind uh, from the safety position. So, uh, I mean, a bunch of defensive backs, not, not really. I mean, you know, Jalen McLean is another guy that just took that uh, official visit to USC as well. Kind of don't know where where he sits with things. Um, but uh, yeah, you've got a, a an eclectic group of safeties. I, I would definitely say that. But I think if um, yeah, USC puts the press on this weekend for Peyton Woodyard, and you're going to have a small group. Probably there could be another official visitor that slips in there. Not 100 mm -hmm. percent mm -hmm. sure yet on that. I've uh, been hearing that for the past couple of weeks, but haven't seen anything or haven't gotten anything that's like this is happening uh, just yet. But still, it's going to be a, a very focused group. And uh, absolutely, USC wants to get one out of, out of two. You know, I mean, again, we're going for 50 percent, even though it's a smaller group. If you get one out of two this weekend, you feel pretty good about it. If you're able to get Kingston, Billy Omaha, that's huge for USC. If you're able to get Peyton Woodyard as well, uh, that's doubly as huge. I mean, it definitely takes the local recruiting to a whole nother level because you're making moving to St. John Bosco. And that's been something that USC 
has been trying to do uh, for the past few years, but certainly, you know, last year with Mateo Ungulele, uh, you know, they're they're trying to make that move. And, and this is a year where, you know, USC, maybe they actually get a couple commitments because you also have Marcellus Williams, who's mm-hmm. there. And USC looks like they're in a pretty good position for him, too. We'll see if Brian Odom can beat Ohio State once again for a high-priority linebacker. Gerard, I think we've done enough in this first half of the show that we deserve a little bit of break. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the USC Elite Camp, potential the next five commitments for USC, some USC targets that committed elsewhere. And, of course, we have a full plate of listener questions to get to. So we will be right back after this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back. Gerard, how was your break? We actually took a legitimate break this time around because the first half was so long. It was horrible because you just sprung all this bad news on me how you have a true personal life and i'm stuck here just doing recruiting 24 7 365 days a year that's why they uh that's why they love you on this podcast because you are a recruiting machine that's all you do eat sleep division and recruit that is chris is is using his very real girlfriend as an excuse to uh, go out and party and go on trips and do all these things, but not cover the recruiting process. So I want everybody to give him some press on the board and say, listen, buddy, if you're going to be a part of the peristyle. You got to be one of us, one of us have no life. One of us. When you say very real girlfriend, it makes it sound like she's not a very real girlfriend. So I think I'm going to get some flack about that. Hey, that's how you have titled her several times in the past. So I'm just going with what you've already said. Yeah, but it wasn't a bit when I said it. It was me trying to convince, okay, convince is the wrong word, trying to convey that she is a real person. But now when other people say it, it doesn't sound legitimate. It sounds like she is, in fact, not real and a figment of my imagination. I think convince was the right word. All right, maybe it was the right word. Maybe it was the wrong word. I will, I will only realize this once people start flooding in the comments or on my social media. But back to the episode at hand, which is getting longer and longer by the minute, USC held their first elite camp of the summer last week. And there was maybe like 5 billion kids on campus. That's the unofficial count. 
of what it was. Gerard was there, five stars only. Jared Perez was there. I was there for a little bit, uh, but Gerard got. Yeah, why, yeah, why were you only there for a little bit, Chris? Oh, I don't know, because you told me not to go, and then you changed it up on me that I had to go, even though I had something scheduled when I was found out that I wasn't going to go. So that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Second half of the show is just going to be very, there's going to be a lot of tension. I feel like if you can feel the tension through your car stereo. Ryan Abraham is rubbing off on you, Chris. <laughs> Another I, guy with a fantastic personal life. you got to understand, Chris, can't have a personal life and be a gamer. I mean, I mean, a writer for uscfootball.com. A grinder, if you will. USC's elite camp was held. Howard Jones Field, Gerard's drone throwing me off. I was having such a good show too, Gerard. I was having such a strong production in the you first half. You had a good show. The listeners, it's the fan base that tells you whether I you think have I, a good I think show I can. I think I can feel if I'm having a good show. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gerard, tell me about the elite camp. Yeah, let me tell you about it since uh, you left so early. So USC had their first elite camp, one of three this summer, and it was mostly 2025, 2026, even some 2028 recruits. I know you guys are holding your breath on where they're going to go to school, but it was a good camp, uh, an elite camp, quote unquote, but definitely a bit bigger in the amount of kids that are on campus. And so there is no technical rising stars camp for USC this summer. And that's the first time we haven't had a rising stars camp in probably 10, 12 years. So they've replaced most of those camps with elite camps. Now, early on when they had elite camps, it was like 60 kids and it was during the week and it was really small and really elite and invite only. And I don't get the sense this was an invite only camp, but I'm not hundred percent sure. We can't talk to the kids on campus and what makes matters worse is that they actually don't have names on their camp shirts, which is also something new to the Lincoln Riley era. So as we watch the performances, you know, we have to sort of look for little cues like uh, whatever logo from the high schools on the shorts or, you know, what they might be wearing from registration that might give away from what high school they're from and then try to I wonder get how years. the coaches keep track of it all. They don't even, well, have well you, you know how they do it. Chris is they walk up to the kid and say, Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What class are you from? So it's a little easier for them. Uh, but for us, you know, we, we, we can't, you know, talk to kids uh, according to compliance. So we kind of have to just look from afar and try to bring together some cues to kind of figure out who's who. So uh, we did. So obviously some of the kids we knew, going into the camp and so you can kind of spot kids so i'll give you a little top performers just of the kids that we knew of and we saw and we watched i was sort of the eye in the sky if you will uh, kind of watching overhead as Jarrett uh watched uh, some of the, the linemen and they're actually in two different fields so they're over there at howard jones field and uh which you know kennedy field is, is right there basically same complex and they're also uh on the track uh, for a little bit. And um, I would say there's probably 500 to 600 kids there. Um, just judging from the old Nike camps that we used to have at USC, which were roughly around that amount. So that's what it kind of looked like. So again, when I say elite camp, 
didn't look like it was just completely invite only. It looked like there were just some kids who signed up. Um, but nevertheless, some standout performers that we saw, mostly underclassmen. Uh, one of the guys that stands out, uh, Havon Finney Jr., a uh, 6'1", uh, going on 6'2", defensive back, who is in the 2027 class. So some of these guys we knew from the under-the-radar camp and some of the other camps we've been to, uh, the 2027 class has some studs in it. Avon Finley, one of the better players. He got some personal one-on-one um, instruction from Dante Williams. In fact, he was over with the younger group of, I believe, safeties. And they were going through one-on-ones. And Dante Williams actually walked over and grabbed him and had him go against some of the top receivers in the older group. And so he gets a scholarship offer from USC. Actually just told me today he's going to go to Sierra Canyon. So he was debating between Modern Day, Sierra Canyon, Modern Day, Sierra Canyon. I think he felt just a little more comfortable at Sierra Canyon, liked the vibe a little better. So he's going to start out his high school football career at Sierra Canyon. Like I said, a guy that I saw at the end of the radar camp and kind of said he's probably a future scholarship offer guy for USC. Well, that happened just a, a couple months later. So Hevon uh, Finley guy remember that name uh, in the future he's going to be a top player uh, in that 2025 uh, 27 class excuse me another 2027 a wide receiver who got a scholarship offer which impresses me you know it was a guy that i saw at the end of the radar camp i really liked him honor fave fave saying that name wrong uh he's going to saint augustine from san diego He's a wide receiver that we saw at the under the radar camp and didn't get a lot of love. It seemed like at the under radar camp, but I watched him. Uh, I first stood out to me him at the fastest man races that they were having. And he was among one of the fastest players there. And so watched him during receiver drills and he looked really good. I'm like, this, this kid's a really good athlete. And so I pulled him aside, chatted with him a little bit, learned uh, about him at the under the radar camp. And he popped up. Uh, this weekend at USC for the elite camp and impressed USC enough that he gets a scholarship offer as well. So a very interesting move there. They uh, offer both of those kids out of the 2027 class. So like I said, pretty stacked 2027 class, a kid out of the 2028 class. We're going into middle school. He's not even, well, technically he's going to high school next year, but he's still got another year before he's actually a high school player. And that's Jaden Wade, quarterback out of Carson. Uh, he's going to IMG, so he's actually going to IMG a year ahead of actually being in the ninth grade and, and being a high school kid. Uh, watched him. He's got a little bit of hype behind him. I mean, obviously, if IMG's taking him this early, he's got some hype. But uh, he's a kid that's kind of a known commodity here in the West Coast. Uh, Do they have a documentary out here? They have a, a video of him on YouTube um, and kind of the process of him deciding to go to IMG and playing uh, for the – I believe he's played for the Carson Colts. He's, he's out of Carson. Um, I watched him a little bit, and I watched him uh, just, just throwing the ball, and, and there was probably like 35, 40 quarterbacks there. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a, in a second. The quarterback position is always an extremely popular position for the USC camps. Might wonder why right you know you got lincoln riley there cliff kingsbury but watch Jaden wade and uh he's a real deal man he he throws that ball nice he's got great spin on it uh he's a big tall kid uh we saw him walk by in registration and uh i'm like you know if one of uh the guys that handles his recruitment um you know walked by and and said hey you know you need to take a look at this kid and i'm looking at him and i go well, what what, what 
grade is he in? What class is he in? He's 2028. I go, oh, okay. And then it dawned on me, you know, just seeing him, like, oh, you know, that's Jaden Wade. I actually know who that is. And so, yeah, he looked good. He was definitely one of the top players there. I don't think he got a scholarship offer uh, out of the camp, but to me, he was definitely one of the better um, if not the top prospect there when you take into consideration that he's uh, the class of 2028. A kid that showed up uh, this weekend who was actually a, a standout at uh, one of the camps last year, one of the elite camps actually, is Trinidad Wilson, uh, 6'5", 310-pound defensive tackle from Diamond Ranch High School. A, a kid that you know doesn't have a bunch of scholarship offers, but uh, a pretty good local prospect that uh, has, has done pretty well at some of these USC camps. Uh, one of the best looking players, maybe the best looking player just off the hoof uh, was Kai Washington, a, a tight end out of, uh, um, I think he's from Pull Up Washington or Pull Up Washington. Um, I like Pull Up Washington. Yeah, Pull Up Washington. I was thinking of it in the top of in my head. I, I was going to say Seattle and I go, no, he's actually not from Seattle, even though I, I think he might actually be from Seattle technically, but he goes to high school. I, I'm not on I'm but sure anyways. some listener will send us an email about how to pronounce pull up Washington, but I think pull up uh, is actually how you pronounce it. I, but I, I, like I, pull was, up. I like pull up. <laughs> I was looking at it in my head and just whatever. Anyways, uh, Kai Washington, probably one of the best looking just off the hub. I think the best actual performance wise, however, that I saw that I was able to see uh, was Eldorado Hills, uh, Oak Ridge. I, I think he's the class of 2025. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, Caleb Edwards, uh, who was also at UCLA this past weekend, um, but he looked really good. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, he's a guy that's probably a future offer guy for probably both schools, but big kid, you know, 6'5", probably about 230 right now, moved really well, caught the ball. He stood out, I, I think, the most at the tight end position. Uh, we also saw Bosco, 2026 wide receiver, Daniel Oldham, one of the uh, better um, uh, wide receivers in that 2026 class. I think he was one of the better wide receivers at the event. Um, and Arroyo, California, 2024 uh, offensive lineman, uh, Kamani Fifita, who was a good-looking kid, uh, another just gigantic uh, human being. I don't know what his actual list is. I think we when we saw him and we put two and two together with high school and everything, and we, we actually got on, I don't know, it was Max Preps. I think you found uh, his name, Chris. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he's listed at like, I don't like, was he like listed at like 320? And we looked at him and go, that, that dude is, I mean, he is. Yeah, 6'5", 320 is his listing on our site. He's huge. I mean, and he carries it well. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It, 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 but he is a big kid, big kid. He played pretty well. He looked pretty good out there. Um, You know, right now the 2024 class for uh for USC is looking pretty good on the offensive line so I, I don't know you know maybe that's a guy down the line if, if the board shifts a little bit maybe somebody decommits um but uh but he he, he had a good uh, a good camp as well and I think you know observation wise outside of just the the top performers that we saw and, and the guys that we recognized um you know Cliff Kingsbury just watching him out there and instruct the quarterbacks he took charge you know he really I didn't know his voice boomed as much, and and that was like the first. Well, thing he's that NFL I heard. head coach, baby, former NFL yeah, head coach. I tell you what, you know, he has that swagger about him. You watch him out there, and he got out there with the quarterbacks, and like I said, there was probably like 35, 40 quarterbacks out there. Um, but when you've got Cliff Kingsbury as uh, you know, you're 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 like he was involved 
with with every drill and he was right there and then you got lincoln riley kind of hanging out and lincoln riley came at first and he was hanging out with caleb williams i mean gosh if you're a high school quarterback and you know you and i and again I, I think this was probably a paid camp i'm, I'm not 100 sure about that again we, we didn't really pull anybody aside to ask um hey, how much you pay to get in here yeah, 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 usually like two hundred dollars. Um, I, I can't remember looking at the the actual thing where you register how much it cost. If it costs I'm gonna anything. look it up. I'm gonna um, look. with the invite camps, they I think they were like very cheap, but I think with the Rising Star camp, it was usually like two hundred dollars. But still, wouldn't you pay two hundred dollars if you could just say to your grandkids, yeah, 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 I, I actually I actually camped at USC. Yeah, I was actually coached up by Cliff Kingsbury. And Lincoln Riley, and oh, by the way, Caleb Williams was there. So one observation I did see is that they did bring Jaden Wade over to meet Caleb Williams. And I don't know if they maybe they knew each other already or what have you. I, I don't know if that was the first meeting, but they did bring Jaden uh, Wade to come over, you know, in the middle of the drills to, to say what's up to uh, Caleb Williams. So I thought that was pretty cool. But Cliff Kingsbury definitely involved. Like he didn't show up. Oh, I'm just, you know, sort of a staff member to hang out and kind of watch. He was in those drills, man. He was out there. He's barking commands, very energetic, very into it. I thought that was very cool. And then Lincoln Riley, after kind of hanging out, came over, man. He put his put his uh, visor backwards, and he was in it too. So, man, those quarterbacks, dude. That that's that's got to be special for those kids um, to just to just say that they were there and they got coached up by those two guys. Um, great time to be a USC quarterback, man. That 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 was probably pretty special. Uh, so that was a, you know one of the observations, and you know everybody talks about. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury and sort of, you know, his place and, and, and what he's going to do and, and, you know, what's his going to be his contributions in terms of the offense. And we know Lincoln Riley is the play caller, uh, but I, that sort of the, the vibe, just watching him and, and seeing how involved he was, you do kind of, you see a guy that, that has been a head coach, you know, you see a guy that takes charge and, you know, if there was, and I don't, you know, I don't want to rain on this uh, podcast because, you know, it's been such good vibes. But, you know, if there was this thing that happened where, you know, some NFL team swoops in and says, hey, you know, Lincoln Riley, we're going to give you the keys to the car. You can have some GM responsibilities and 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 overdraft picks and whatever. And he got swooped away to go to the NFL. You looked at King, Cliff Kingsbury and go, you know, that guy, that guy he's got swagger, man. I, I know he wasn't very successful at Texas Tech, at least in his final year, he was 7-5. And he had some fleeting success in the NFL with the Cardinals. But – yeah, he he he's got that little bit of that something that you see with uh with those successful head coaches and obviously USC would be a much different situation than you know trying to coach at Texas Tech but uh that that was very interesting you know listen to him and, and watching him interact uh he wasn't like just one of the other staff members there just kind of hanging out assisting you know he he was he was definitely at the forefront you just threw off the entire vibes. I mean, the vibes were already off at the start of the second half. So this is going to be a, a an interesting back half with your uh, Lincoln <laughs> Riley to the NFL uh, takes as well. Uh, I did look up the cost. It was it's listed for only fifty bucks for the okay. elite camp. So it wasn't. I mean, that's an elite camp uh, price, basically. You know, going back to even the elite camps under Clay Helton. So man, fifty bucks. Dude, I, I guess, I guess we're not in the ninth grade. I mean, you did you graduate high school? I don't think you might have been able. to I get maybe have graduated high school, <laughs> maybe have graduated. But what's interesting is that the middle school camp is two hundred dollars, and the youth camp, which is third and sixth graders, is one hundred and fifty dollars. The specialist is two hundred dollars. Yeah, the high school camp is only fifty bucks. 
Yeah. And the well, it's like I said, it, it's an elite camp. So, you know, supposedly it's like an invite only camp. Um, it seemed like there was more kids there than what you normally see for that. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure about it, but yeah, as a, as a quarterback man in high school to 50 bucks, you can come hang out and just have, you know, Lincoln Riley, you stand next to Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury and, and Caleb Williams would probably have been more than enough. Like that's, that's worth it. Let alone be able to talk to those guys and, and just, again, the story of, Hey, yeah, when I was in high school, shoot, man, I went to the USC elite camp, bro. I was, I was, yeah. Lincoln Riley was, was right I was there. I was slinging it. K- uh, Lincoln Riley definitely said, look at that, when he saw me sling one. Yeah, yeah. Any kind of comment that was made or anything, like, that's, that's, that's a, that's a story for, for generations, He tipped man. his visor to me after an out route. He did, he did, he, he turned the visor around. He saw Cliff out there. It's like, let me get in this, man. Like, because I, I, I'm watching Lincoln and he's just, you know, kind of standing, he's hanging out, he's watching, he's got, you know, Caleb there. And then, you know, somebody else comes over and then this person comes over and whatever. And then the next thing I know, he's got his backwards visor and he's there and he's, you know, watching these kids and, and talking them up. And Cliff is, you know, going at it. And it's, yeah, I mean, they, they, they definitely got their money's worth at that camp for the quarterbacks and the receivers and everybody. Uh, that was, that was cool. Offer, no offer. I mean, 50 bucks for that. Holy cow. Do you did and that with Cliff, doesn't that kind of you know, obviously just you know, was just fired from the NFL down. Obviously he's got a fat buyout contract that's uh keeping him pretty happy. But just to be out there doesn't you know, he didn't need to be out there as you mentioned, but doesn't that kind of just speak to the uh the passion he has for football and you know, coaching and obviously as you just mentioned, you know, Lincoln got into it, turned the turned the cap back and got his hands dirty and coaching up these kids. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you, he could have totally been the cool Cliff guy and just hung Stand out with his sunglasses. Yeah. yeah, just like, hey, there's there's other coaches here and they can organize this and whatever. And you know, none of the, I mean, these most of these kids are underclassmen. You know, are they going to be? Uh, am I going to be around at USC? You know, it's 2028. Are you kidding me? You know, 2026. What? So he could have totally taken a very hands-off approach to it. But uh, he was there to coach and he was like, yeah, let me get into this thing and let me get these guys focused up. And yeah, uh, and we took a little bit of video of it. I, I threw some up on on. Uh, yeah, on don't Twitter. be modest. You uh, you had the first official sighting of Cliff Kingsbury in USC gear on campus. You you had that drug. I, I, I didn't actually know that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I honestly it was just, hey, he's out here coaching it up. That's cool. And, um, you know, like I said, he, he, he could have very much been, uh, like more low key and whatever. And, uh, but he was like excited, I think just to get out there with the kids, be at USC. And as I said, man, I, I mean, he just, like, I didn't know that he was like, he had this, uh, this booming, vo- I, this booming voice. I was literally like, who is that Cliff Kingsbury out there talking like that? Is that, you, you know, I could hear him over everybody else. And that's not usually, you know, the case for the quarterback coach. It's usually, uh, you know, you got your Ed Ergeron or somebody out there and you just hear that booming over Howard Jones Field. But uh, it was Cliff Kingsbury. So, yeah, he he seems ready to go and excited to be at USC, man. Like it's not a, yeah, I'm getting paid off by the Cardinals. I'm just going to hang out or whatever. He's he's there to to, to make an impact and then to uh, to be hands on. And so uh, that's that's cool to see. And. My final question about elite camp, did Lincoln Riley split early to avoid being crushed 
<laughs> by parents and kids asking for photos and handshakes and QB tips. Did he did he dip out early like he did? Has he done in the past? Well, funny story about that. Oh, oh, okay. So I was up at Dado Field and I was watching kind of from below because I thought maybe they were going to bring the defensive backs over to Dado Field and work them out because they've done that in the past. So I, instead of going to Howard Jones Field, which was a madhouse with everybody trying mm-hmm. to get in, going from there was a choke stadium. point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just (laughs) so so I was like, whatever. Anyways, I'm gonna go over and see if the defensive backs are gonna be at Dato Field. So I went all the way around, went up to the baseball stadium, kind of looked. They had some cones out there and everything. So I was like, okay, they might actually end up over here. So I'm gonna hang out over here. Meanwhile, I'm just gonna sit on the benches and just watch, you know, everything going on. And it was a decent spot, and it wasn't, you know, like crowded with a bunch of people anyway. So I hung up out there. And that's where, you know, I watched Cliff and I ended up just texting JP, hey, just, you know, come over to this field or hang over there at the track and, and watch the linemen if the linemen stay over there. And you had already, you know, taken off um, to go see your very real girlfriend. And so, you know, we were we were working and, and grinding it out as we usually do uh, during the weekends. And the camp is starting to, you know, to 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 to, to come to an end. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take my stuff and, and head out. They had locked Dato Field. They locked the main fence, the gates. And I'm like, oh, I was sitting, like, you could see me a mile away sitting there. I was the only person over there. And they locked the fence. So I'm like, okay, that sucks. So there's like two other entrances from the football field, from Howard Jones Field over there. That, both were locked. So now you're locked out, locked over at Dato Field. So I'm like, what the hell, man? How how did nobody see me sitting there? Like, it was very obvious. So anyways, I'm like trying to get people's attention and nobody can hear me. Nobody's paying attention to me. They're all like wrapping it up for the camp. And I'm thinking, how the hell do I get out of here? Like, there's no way to get out of here. All these fences are locked up. So I started making phone calls to like people and finally, I, I I called Jarrett, and I'm like, um, yeah, I'm stuck over here. I can't. Get, and he's like, Are you serious? Or are you just joking? I'm like, No, no, no. I'm not. Like, I'm physically stuck over here. They locked the whole gate, and then these other fences over here, they're all locked. Can you grab somebody? But in me talking to him, I grabbed somebody's attention through the fence. Like, Yo, 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 yo. So I eventually made it over. I don't know. I think Lincoln was gone, but I don't know if he. If he left or not, I kind of ended up after everybody was broken up and like they were leaving, uh, got, you know, they had to open the fence for me. And I, I was able to to get out of my dado prison. So, yeah. So that's that's so that's that answer to your question. I, I'm not 100 percent sure I would say probably, but I don't know for sure. The question may never be answered, but we'll have a couple more opportunities to see if that happens in the second or third LA camp because there is two more. Coming up for this month. Will you be attending those? And will you be attending the whole camp? Or will you be on sabbatical? Uh, I will be at at least one of those camps. I can (laughs) can say that. I can say that. With my wholeheartedness, I can say that. (laughs) Okay, well, we look forward to that. Right, Peristyle? We, We look forward to that, everyone. Everyone chill out. And the next option... 
Topshin topic <laughs> at hand. <laughs> Chris has completely been derailed after this. My assault on him I was for doing, his lackadaisical work ethic. Here. I his, was doing <laughs> so well, and then we just got we just got knocked knocked for a loop here. But the next topic option, whatever we have, is a story I wrote uh, earlier this week that I didn't know was going to be on the docket, but Gerard decided to put it on the docket, and I just. I do this periodically. It's the uh, sort of like who's next, just five potential next commitments for USC. And at the current rate USC is recruiting at, it could be anyone, anyone on this planet could be the next recruit. But I decided to take an attempt at five guys. I wrote down Santa Ana, California offensive lineman, DeAndre Carter, Santa Ana, modern day QB, Elijah Brown. Still be Texas wide receiver, Draylon Miller, Longview, Texas running back, Taylor Tatum, and then Bellflower, St. John Bond, St. John Bond, St. John Bosco quarterback, Marcellus Williams. Those were the five I had, but there are other options that I could have put down as well, you know? Yeah, I was sort of surprised that, I mean, that's a good list. That's not a bad list. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. USC at this point. You might call the favorite for all of those recruits. So that's a that's not a bad list. But in terms of the immediacy of the list, I was kind of surprised. So some other names that you could float out there and might cover the emoji mysteries. Uh, Maybe West Hills safety Marquise Gallegos. You know, we've kind of talked about him a little bit. He's actually headed to Sierra Canyon from what I hear, so he might not be at Chaminade next year. Uh, you also have Converse Texas safety Miles Davis. We've talked about him in the past. Uh, Huntington Beach offensive tackle Justin Tananau, uh, another guy that I think uh, USC is in a very good position for. It's, you know, excuse me. One of the things about Justin Tananau and, and really that 23rd weekend is – yeah, I mean, he's a room at that point. You know, you kind of wonder with the addition of a guy like Manasseh Atite, you know, which you don't think you're getting, and now all of a sudden you've got, you know, that's 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 definitely a little bit of a question. How many offensive linemen does USC actually take in this class? I, I think it's more of a four or five type thing. Mm-hmm. I think going into the summer, it was like three or four. And so now you're like four or five. I don't think they're taking six offensive linemen. Uh, we could maybe break that down further. I think we'll probably do that next weekend. We have something to talk about next weekend because it's not a big official visit weekend this weekend. But nevertheless, that's going to be an interesting recruitment because I do think USC is probably the lead school uh, for Justin Tananau. Uh, and as you said before, uh, Bellflower, cornerback, Marcellus Williams. I did not think Marcellus Williams actually made your list. I think it was DeAndre Carter, Elijah Brown, Draylon Miller, uh, Tatum, I guess maybe it was William, uh, Williams was fifth. So he, yeah, so he's another guy that you would say definitely could be uh, among that group. Could USC sign all of those players, right? So that's every player on this list, you say. Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility. And, and certainly uh, some of these guys even coming into the summer we projected would end up at USC. One interesting note is with DeAndre Carter, mm-hmm. the 6'4", 330-pound uh, offensive tackle 
who is rated as an offensive guard and probably will play on the interior in college from modern day. He scheduled his official visit to USC for June 16th. That has been changed. He is going to go to Auburn June 16th. Uh, so we don't have a date for him right now for USC. I very much think that he is still high on USC's board. I have heard nothing to suggest otherwise. He could end up bumping his official visit to USC. Maybe uh, he takes it for the 23rd. Um, there is the possibility he comes in this weekend too. But again, we have not heard on a specific date for his USC visit. Elijah Brown is going to be on campus for that June 23rd weekend. Right now, I think DeAndre Carter has Michigan State June 23rd. I think that's what he has scheduled. Um, maybe he bumps that and, and goes to USC with Elijah Brown on June 23rd. So that's something to keep an eye on. Definitely something to keep an eye on and very interesting. And as you know, things get wild in recruiting. So we'll see how that plays out with DeAndre Carter. I just want to say I almost put Justin Townau on my list as well. I almost put Walter Matthews on my wi- my wist, my list as well. I got a little speech impediment going on. Your wish list. My wish list. But no, yeah, I almost put those two guys on there. So I just want to say, yes, there needs to be a little bit more immediacy for my list. But also this was kind of taking in the entire month as it is. But yes, very possible that USC gets all everyone we just mentioned in this uh, topic at hand. Which, you know, to to reiterate, you know, that's a very sort of um, a happy rainbows, cotton candy, everything's great with USC recruiting. I don't like cotton candy. Synopsis, but truthfully a synopsis that we would have made going into the summer. So, you know, it's always like, oh, well, you guys are so positive about recruiting now because USC's got commitments. No, it's just the guys that they got commitments from this week. I don't think anybody thought some of those guys are going to USC. So it's it's not necessarily like this group here has been a pretty solid group. You know, I think majority of this group, we would have felt like, yeah, realistically, USC could get a majority of those guys. I think, uh, you know, with Taylor Tatum, it, it's more of a question. I mean, it's still somewhat of a question. There's still, you know, if he goes and he takes uh, visits to Oklahoma or Texas, et cetera, you know, that sort of, you know, raises the question as to, you know, is he really sold on USC? But I think, you know, you probably feel a bit better about Taylor Tatum and USC right now, certainly than you did uh, before the official visit. Certainly with Michigan now looking like they're pivoting and they're starting to look at other running backs. Um, Miles Davis before his official visit to USC, I mean, the safety position has been kind of weird, right? Jarvis Boatwright, huh? You know, I mean, I know USC has been in Clearwater, Florida, and they keep going to Clearwater, Florida, but for Jarvis Boatwright, did not think USC was really a serious option there, let alone I'm going to officially visit and boom, I'm going to commit right afterwards. Um, I think Miles Davis was also one of those guys. It was just a name, you know, hadn't been to USC unofficially, just didn't hear a lot about. And, and now he's one of those guys that for sure, I mean, he got a crystal ball from Steve Wolfong. Um, there are some outstanding emojis out that are from that week. So definitely at this point, but those other guys, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with Jonathan, Ahu, uh, with Draylon Miller, Elijah Brown, you know, USC has definitely been top two, maybe top three 
DeAndre Carter as well. So that's a that's been a solid group. That's a group where we're looking before uh, last week in that 260. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of those guys that are that are in that calculation. Uh, but now you know there's been some additions to that calculation. Calculations all around. Now, obviously, all these guys we talked about uncommitted still on the board for USC. People that have come off the board for USC, a couple of those have hit this week, and we're going to get into those real quick right now. And these are guys who have went ahead and made their decision. Have you made your decision for Christ? First one being five-star Texas wide receiver. <laughs> Wait, what? Brian we, we got real religious real quick here. We're trying to keep religion and politics off the message board, but it's okay because uh, my interpretation, my interpretation of that quote is for Christ's sake, not essentially for Jesus, <laughs> Lord and Savior. But we can listen to it again. Have you made your decision for Christ? Yeah, my People can tell me if I'm wrong. About I think you're point. wrong. But also, so this is all coming from the same movie. I do not place this movie at all. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. That's the name of the movie? Yeah. Never seen it. Never seen it? You, you don't know this speech, this famous uh, speech about uh, the leads and closing and, you know, no? I'm sure no. someone is going to bring it up in the uh, the comments. Have you ever watched Blue Chips? We talked about the top We have talked movies. about Blue Chips, but I haven't seen it yet. We talked hey, about come Chips. on. Oh, okay. you're, you're cutting tape off of – you're topping audio off of some random movie that no, – and there's a Blue it Chips. It works. What are you talking the about? Program. This speech works. Well, it's like, AIDA. Get out there. You got the prospects coming in. You think they came in to get out of the rain? You think they came in to get out of the rain, Gerard? Is he talking about stocks? What is what is the movie actually about? The leads, the selling, their salesmen. What are they selling? That I don't know. That I don't remember. Oh god. Okay. First 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 prize for the salesman of the month is a Cadillac. Second prize is a set of steak. Third prize is your five. You don't want to come in third place, drug. I like that. I, 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 that's a good. That's a good. You know, it's oh, that almost like, like. Yeah, it's almost like Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. I like that. I like that. But okay. it is a little ambiguous because I've never seen the movie. I mean, these all work. I, I'll give you credit for that. The audio works in terms of the closing and everything like that. But Sign on the dotted a, line. Yeah, a little random in that the movie has nothing to do with anything that has – well, it's just not a sports movie, Talk obviously. We need to get some – we do need to get you to watch Blue Chips, right? It's a basketball movie, so it's not even about football. Program is about football. Now, if you you, you grab some stuff like Place at the Table, baby, like people are going to know immediately, oh, that's the program. Because a lot of guys – that are my generation, you're in your, you know, your 30s, your 40s, you were playing high school football and you watched the program. They used to show us before games, the, when we were doing like pregame prep, they'd have the program on. Like every week, like coach, we watch this every week. We're not pumped up by this anymore, but they'd still show it to us. And we could sit there and do the lines of the movie, you know, by ourselves in our sleep with that. And so, but that, yeah, it, that's an epic game. That's an epic not even just like sports movie, but it's college football and it has some college football recruiting in it. But from a recruiting standpoint, I feel like the blue chip movie 
is the best movie that's the most interesting just from like behind the scenes. It's not really that much about the basketball team as it is the recruiting process. You got Nick Nolte, you got Shaq, Penny Hardaway. Come on, Chris Trevino, get it. Tell your, tell your very real girlfriend, listen, there's a movie we need to watch. We need to have a celebration and I'm going to bring my recorder and I'm going to record little bits of it. Don't well, mind. I mean, that's I would just rip normal. it off YouTube, but I get your point. I, I see where you're going. Use your handbrake, rip it off of YouTube, not illegal at all. It's very legal and get it on the podcast because people can relate to that better. I think I don't, this movie here, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to need to go see it. Is it on Netflix? Is it on Amazon? Uh, I'm looking uh, at Paramount, Blue Chips right Paramount, now. You know, it's Paramount, on, number one. Blue Chips is on Prime and Paramount, so that might be easy for me. Glenn, Gary, Glenn, Ross. Uh, I want to watch it. I want to watch it. You do need to watch it because evidently you don't remember it enough to know what the plot is of what they're actually selling. It says it's on Hulu and that's it. Well, that Hulu. shows you. That that says something. That says something. It's an old movie. It's a, Blue Chips. I think, no, no, I'm, Blue Chips. No, no, no. Blue Chips. Okay. I'm saying people would know Blue Chips. I'm also saying people are going to know Gary Glenn Ross. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, back to... Have you made your decision for Christ? Have we made our decision? Well, no. Well, these people have made the decision. Five-star Texas wide receiver Bryant Wesco commits to Clemson. Gerard, where is he from? Mythlothian. That's right. Myth Turn your back on Troy, Mythlothian. <laughs> committed to Clemson during their big bonanza recruiting event. And then three-star off at the tackle, Kevin Haywood, committed to Wisconsin. He was slated to take an official visit to USC later this month, but going to go play for the Badgers, makes his commitment there. So is that the official name for the Clemson recruiting weekend, the Big Bonanza weekend? Is it like yeah, USC's I think got the golden hour? Yeah, I think Big Bonanza weekend. Big Bonanza weekend. Come commit to us on our Bonanza weekend. Bonanza. There you go. There's a show. There's <laughs> Take some audio from Bonanza. Uh, and did you see that the it is confirmed to be Golden Hour again? Again? Okay. So they're going to do a little something special, a little, you know. A luau? Maybe. Well, we don't want to speculate now. We know how <laughs> controversial the, the luau is. Um, but uh, one, one addition to this in terms of targets committed, visiting elsewhere, and I actually did not get to fill out the visiting elsewhere completely because I know there's probably some other um, potential visits going on uh, with USC targets. Uh, we talked about Taylor Tatum. He's technically going to be off this weekend. We're not sure 100%. He might schedule something. But Calacamus, Oregon. Calacamus. Center. Three-star Devin Brooks. He's going to be at Oregon this weekend. And this is one of USC's top Offensive line recruits, they're really going after like two guys that are going to be centers. And Devin Brooks is probably at the top of the list. I mean, he, he's going to be there uh, with the kid from um, IMG. I think I'm, I'm blanking on his name. It's Zach. Um, uh, Zama. Zach the Nicholas. Nicholas. What? <laughs> Zach, I can never say that guy's name. The comedian that was in. Uh, uh, that was in. Oh, Vanakis or whatever. Um, uh, Zandamella? Yes. No, yeah. Jason Zandamella. God, I'm not yeah, even yeah. his first name. 
Hey, Clearwater is not even from IMG. I, I got everything wrong. Everything wrong. That hasn't happened in a long time. Jason Sandamella, <laughs> Clearwater Academy International. So, yeah, he is actually from the same high school that Lucas Simmons was. I don't know why I was thinking IMG, but um, so he is uh, another Clearwater guy. Clearwater, going into Clearwater. Clearwater. Honey Hole Clearwater. Uh, he's, in a, he's one of the two that uh, USC is recruiting basically for center. So Devin Brooks. Um, and they've both been at USC unofficially, so they're going to go on that June 16th closer uh, list. But USC has to get Devin Brooks to that June 16th golden hour visit. That's the point of all of this, including him in this little section. Uh, he's going to be visiting Oregon this weekend. Oregon's going to say, no, you don't want to go to USC. Oregon is a place for you. Eugene is just like Seattle, according to Josh Connerly. It's going to be great. Lock you down. Nike for life. And so we'll see if USC is able to uh, to get him to come and take that official visit. Because I feel like, you know, having talked to Devin a couple times, he really likes USC. You know, USC really did a great job. And USC surprised him recruiting him as a center. I don't know if Oregon is actually recruiting him as a center. But, you know, when he came down for his unofficial visit the first time, he was kind of surprised that USC was just like, hey, you know, we think you can play center. We think you're going to be great at center. And they laid it out for him. He was like, hmm. I kind of dig that. I kind of vibe with that. And so it was a bit of a gamble. You know, he could have said, I'm not a center. I want to play offensive tackle or whatever. Uh, but they broke it down for him and they gave him a great vision and he was into it and he liked Los Angeles a lot. So, yeah, uh, USC's definitely, I think it's Oregon USC, but he's going to take that visit to Oregon this weekend. And then he's coming in June 16th. Uh, if he, you know, doesn't shut it down and Oregon can sort of like end his recruitment there. So keep an eye on that one. That's going to be a, a big one unless, you know, I mean, you do have uh, Jason Zandamella who is, you know, also there. And with USC, it was kind of the same as of last year. I think it was um, Landon Hatchett was uh, the other potential center prospect for USC that visited. And then you had Micah Benuelos, and I think they felt good with Micah Benuelos. They still had Landon Hatchett. A visit, um, you know, I think it was like the next week, which ended up being like a midweek visit. Uh, and uh, USC gets uh, Benuelos, and uh, I think Hatchet ended up going to Washington. So kind of similar, where they've got two guys. Henson likes two guys. He sees that's those kind of like what his options are right now. And um, you know, it'll be one of those two. But I think with Devin Brooks, and I've you know I've spoken to Devin Brooks more recently. I, I think USC is in a pretty good position for him. But you, uh, but Oregon is. He's going to try to do everything they can to uh, to to get him to cancel that visit to USC and commit to them. Do you like USC's chances to land one of those guys? Like one of these guys will be in the class. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think they feel good enough about both of them. And so it's kind of like, hey, we like either or. And I think that's like, again, going back to last year, last summer, I kind of think it would have played out, you know, that same way. They like Landon Atch. A lot. They like Mac, but Michael Benuelos. You know, was there one rated so much higher than the other? No, I don't think so. I think Michael Benuelos was probably their first choice, and they got their first choice. But I think they would have been happy with either guy. And I think in this situation uh, with Jason and Devin, that it, it's the same thing. They they'd be happy with either guy. And that will bring us to our final talking point before listener questions, and it's kind of a fun one. I know we've talked about this game on our show before and i know gerard obviously big into the gaming but yay college football as everyone is very excited about that release and it's supposed to be next year or 2025 or something like that but 
seems to have caught a little bit of a snag in its release and that the College Football Players Association is organizing a boycott of it because the payout for players is not what they expected. I think the reported payout is around $500 per player. So they're, you know, taking up to protesting uh, the game and its release. And does this matter, Gerard? I don't think it matters as much as people think it matters. Because you already said, Ed and stated that you can see this podcast, Chris. Look at my shocked face. Look at it, Chris. Look at my shocked face. Yeah, I um, can uh, hear it through this uh, call. I predicted that there might be some issues like this, and there are going to be issues like this. College football does not have a player's ink. They do not have a collective bargaining agreement. And so this is already out, out to a rocky start where – You've got some players that they're having to negotiate with individually. Um, they have a partnership with a group that's supposed to do that for EA. And EA is still working on getting all the schools in because there are schools that are part of CLC. And then there are schools like USC and Notre Dame, which are not. So it's not like the NFL where you buy a license and it's all-encompassing. You know, you get everything under that NFL license. College football is not like that. And so it is going to be interesting. They're 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 going to put out a game, which they're going to put Caleb Williams probably on the cover. They're going to have to pay him more money. They're going to pay some star players more money. And then they're going to want to have like sort of just a a standard sum for everyone else. But who is negotiating this for everyone? So now you have this boycott going to be a little bit of a mess and the question is going to be okay so you were scared off of producing the game when you went through the whole Ed O'Bannon uh, lawsuit what is going to change going forward because you pay some guys you can just make generic characters uh, for the guys that don't want to be a part of the game well, how is that any different than what the game was to begin with they were generic <laughs> characters then the yeah. game did not ship with names they were just generic, random-made characters that had a number. And the association of whose likeness that was was just with the number. Okay, so it's an African-American quarterback, and he's wearing 13. Well, you know, what defines that as being Caleb Williams when it's not Caleb Williams? The name's not there. It's not his face. It's just an African-American quarterback wearing 13. So when it comes to, like, going to court over something like this is – EA going to be scared off like, oh, no, we're going to get sued because we're going to have generic characters that just randomly look too much like the guys that we didn't pay to be in the game that are on those teams. Like that's going to be where the rubber meets the road with this. They subsequently stopped producing the game because they didn't want to get sued. Again, is it because they're paying some players that they feel like they are able to get around that and say, hey, listen, you know, the guys – we made the effort to pay for name image likeness where we could. And the guys that decided not to, to, to go along with how much we were going to pay them. Hey, we made generic characters. And so what, it kind of looked like, you know, Ed O'Bannon, you know, cause he had a bald head and he was wearing the same number. It's just a very interesting thing. I, I think the bigger issue again is, and this is going to come up and it's going to come up with TV money. It's going to come up with merchandising the more the players get, the more they're probably going to want. 
and it's going to cut into the bottom line. And there's just going to have to be at some point some entity that steps in and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring it together, some representatives within the the, the player uh, group, and they're going to have to speak for all the players. And there's a lot more players to speak for in college football than there is the NFL. So that's your first hurdle. And your second hurdle is how do you how do you come to the conclusion that these are the guys that represent that union, um, that that group of players and, and bargains for them? And how and what's the representation? And how do the players themselves, that big group, determine what the, who the, rep- the representation is? Right. It's it's a mess. It's a little bit of a mess. And uh, we're just going to have to wait and see how it gets sorted out. But. Uh, you know, EA says they're on their way to making the game, developing the game. I think that's kind of a little bit disingenuine because uh, they made Madden. <laughs> and Madden is going to probably be basically copy pasta of what the new NCAA game is going to be. So it's not like this huge ground up development that EA Sports is going to put in to the NCAA football game, college football game, whatever they call it. Uh, it's always had a lot of assets and things that have come over from Madden. There are times where I think maybe they were on different engines, but there was a time uh, at least towards the end where they're on the same engine and it's the same studio. It's Tribune, which is down there. And I think Orlando, Florida. So they're, they're going to piggyback quite a bit off of Madden. So it's, it's not super hard for them. You know, it's not like, Hey, we got to start from scratch and Oh no, there's a delay. And now we got to go back and do this and this different they make Madden. They're going to have, you know, the NCAA football game is probably going to be halfway there, if not 75% there of what that game is going to look like. And then, you know, obviously there's there's different logos and colors and and there's bigger teams. You know, you're going to have more players on a college football team than you will NFL team. Uh, but even back in the day, it was I think the cap was like 63. So it wasn't a full 85 for each college roster. Um, they said that there was some issues with uh, the the memory of the game or something. It wasn't able to run. Um, and obviously this is all developed for consoles and not computer games. So, uh, but it will be different from that standpoint. Stadiums will be different. There's a lot of difference, but in terms of mechanics and what have you, I don't know if it's going to be all that much different. So, but this is very predictable. This is a very obvious thing. And, um, you know, the whole thing, if the boycott, you know, and what is the boycott? Who does it really speak for? You know, does it speak for Caleb Williams? Hell no. Hell no. Get an audio (laughs) clip of that. No, it doesn't. He's going to get paid really well to probably be on the cover. He will be in the game. He'll get his face scanned. And that will be that, you know, and then the next guy, you know, is he going to get the same treatment? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how good he is. And is he a first round pick? And that's going to be how it goes. Right. And but there's going to be a lot of players more than uh, not that are just going to probably be generic type of players or what have you, because maybe they don't sign off on their uh, name, image, and likeness. Uh, but again, that the question is, is like if there's a threatened lawsuit from this group that's boycotting, uh, even if it's not the top end players, if it's anybody, you know, does that, does that kind of uh, make EA a little, a little afraid, a little gun shy about actually putting the game out? I just want to play Gerard. I just want to play. That's the next evolution of this podcast. We play well, my, EA my, couch football. Here, here's my thing, right? While we talk. We could have done that because EA could have very easily cre- put a player generator in the game that you would just, you know, basically like a slot machine 
just say, oh, I want another quarterback for the USC roster. Ship the game without rosters at all and have people create their rosters as they go or just hit a button and it randomly creates everybody. So you could say, hey, man, it's just randomly created. Like you literally press a button and it just autofills those rosters of those schools. And then you go in there and you edit yourself. You basically allow the user to mod those rosters, which we were doing already. I mean, you know, it's like one thing to have the names. Okay, everybody wants the real names in there because the names are said by the commentators. They did have that mechanic where, you know, Curb Street and Brad Nessler were doing the commentary for those games and they would read off certain names, right? More common names. Usually it's like a crazy name. They just say running back for USC or whatever, you know, but if it was, you know, a pretty common name, a Collins, a Johnson, a Jackson, a Smith, they say the name. So you wanted the names in on the roster so you could see the names if it was a school that obviously had the names on the back of the jerseys, but you'd also hear the names like, oh, Bush with a great run or what have you. But you could, you had to do that all yourself anyways. It didn't ship that way, right? So it was just number five running back. I, I don't think that's a big difference than just like, hey, ship ship the freaking game with no rosters and just have it auto, you know, populate those rosters. And then you're going to go in and edit them anyway. So uh, I, I don't they didn't do it. So I, I don't know why, you know, if, if it's going to be an issue going forward doing something like that. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's it's a little bit of a uh, an eye roll for me when uh, I see all this going on and it just didn't seem like. uh I mean, there seems like there's solutions, but EA is kind of uh, the corporation, like these big gaming corporations, they're just used to very, very high margins, making a lot of money with a lot of profit. And if there's any sort of something that cuts into that or makes it more of a hassle, it's like, eh, we don't want to do it anymore. You know, we want, you know, the, a lot of these gaming companies, they should be opening their games off for mods uh, and, and giving you more re replayability from the community. I mean, like like Skyrim did with Bethesda, like Skyrim is still going strong. I don't know how old that game is, but it's still going strong with the modding community. It's not because the I mean, the game was great, but the modding community made it so much more amazing. And it's just people that are just, you know, kind of like hobbyists that are doing these things that are that are that are modding these games and giving it all this more replayability. You know, Ghost Recon Breakpoint is a game that broke out and Ghost Recon's a great franchise that Ubisoft has had. For, for more than a decade, but the last couple games have kind of sucked. And the last game particularly, a lot of people didn't like for various different reasons. And Ubisoft like locks it away from modders and modders have been able to kind of go around that and hack it a little bit. And now the game is kind of seeing a lot more interest again because people are are, are, are making it, like re remaking it basically and doing what the community wants rather than what these developers think the community wants. And I think EA would be smart to do that to some extent. I mean, EA, I already talked about how with the NCAA 14 game, your people for the last however many years have been modding the game to update it with the rosters. And you actually need a program, like a spreadsheet program. You, you need like three or four different programs to, to basically hack these game files from the old Xbox and the old PlayStations. Really more for Xbox because it, it didn't work, at least originally for PlayStation. And they had to take this all upon themselves. It was so much work, but these people have such passion. They love the game so much. It's like, we're going to do this today. So they've been having updated rosters for NCAA 14 since 2014. They've been doing this. So if you gave these people some tools to actually officially do that, 
God, the game would be so amazing. It'd be so, so much more genuine. I think part of the problem is that EA wants to put a new game out every year and you kind of mess with that. If you let people renew the rosters and make the game updated and modern by themselves, right? So they want to sell you for 70 bucks a year, an updated roster and a couple alternate uniforms and maybe a new stadium. And so that's, you know, that's part of the problem. So yeah, there's, there's issues certainly with this whole thing. Um, but this doesn't surprise me that there's a boycott or there's going to be people that are unhappy with what EA sees as a, um, is, is payment that's fair. You know, I think their idea is probably going to be a little different than the player's idea. Listen up, angels. Listen up, EA. Gerard <laughs> Martinez. Angels. I don't know why I said angels. That's, that's weird. Uh, Gerard has some ideas to fix your, uh, you your still got names. Christ on the brain. Still <laughs> Have you made your decision for Christ? I have not. I have not made my decision for Christ. But that is a good segue, not really, but to our listener questions, <laughs> the final part of our show, as always. And just a reminder, if you want to email us a question, you can send it to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, recruiting, Chris and Gerard, Salancha Boys, whatever. It'll go to my inbox. We got a... Not a ton of questions, but we have a good deal of questions to get through. Gerard, anything else you want to talk about before we jump in? No, I'm ready for uh, some listener questions. We probably are going to be rehashing some round we've already talked about, but you never know. Maybe we'll hit on some things that we didn't touch on. Maybe some things about you know the weekends coming up. Let's let's get into it. Let's see what um, the peristyle and uh, maybe some of the casuals have uh, in store for us here. For sure. The first one comes from Rich and SD. Thanks, Rich, for always sending in questions. Gents, I actually had a few questions about Josh Henson becoming co-OC, Hurricane's prior recruitment, recruiting predictions, CT's current baseball fantasy league status, but instead, my question is revolving around USC's National Signing Day week that occurred six months early. I guess Monday signified that USC is part of the NIL quote-unquote families. Uh, the first question is, how confident are you that they won't decommit and the fact that some of them even canceled previous scheduled official visits? Okay, well, we, well, we, did, <laughs> we did cover that quite a bit. I mean, I think last year's group does give you more confidence that USC once getting a commitment are able to hold on to that commitment, you know, okay. Had a good year. You always need to reinforce your verbal commitments over the summer with a good season. You know, you don't want to lose a bunch of games. Uh, you don't want to have coaching changes. You know, all those things came uh, together for USC last season, but they were able to hold off, you know, a, a few schools for a few different recruits. And we talked about that. So there's definitely more confidence. I can't, uh, tell you, you know, I don't know how I can quantify confidence, you know, in terms of that, but I think fairly confident, you know, more confident uh, than if, you know, they would have lost a couple kids to decommitments that they really wanted last year, certainly. And the second question is, has USC offered Nate Frazier? He seems to be the same size as 2023 and 2024 running back commitments. USC has not re-offered Nate Frazier as far as we know. They, oh, I don't know if they've officially re-offered him. He was up on campus in January with all of the Bosco and Modern Day kids. And he did hang out and he said, you know, I, I liked it. 
I really have to develop a better relationship with Lincoln Riley, and I definitely have to have a better relationship with Kyle McDonald. I really haven't talked to him a whole lot. But that, I believe, is the last time he was on campus for an official visit. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he has not been a guy that USC has recruited very much. He's not been a guy that's been in communication with USC very much. I think some of that has been on his end, but I think most of it has been on USC's end. I think USC's just had other guys that they've liked. And, you know, there's a lot to like about Nate Frazier. So it's going to be an interesting thing just to see how the guys pan out that they actually land and they get committed and they get signed. And then watching, you know, what Nate Frazier does, who's looking at Georgia and Alabama and, and a bunch of other schools. Um, you know, his uh, track season running a 10-5-8 definitely grabbed a lot of people's attention. He's always been pretty fast. He's coming away from playing, you know, receiver and defensive back, which is where he was originally offered by USC. Dante Williams offered him when he was at St. Uh, Pius Matthias. And so, you know, running back is kind of a newer position for him. He's playing the same offensive backfield as Jordan Davidson, the 2025 running back at modern day, who had, you know, like 1,700 yards and like 30 touchdowns or whatever uh, as a sophomore. And he's kind of the, 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 the stalwart back for modern day. Um, but Nate Frazier changed a pace guy, but 5'11", 190, almost 200 plus pounds, uh, running a 10, 5'8", you know, uh, with his hands and his suddenness. And he's a great kid too. You know, it's not like a knucklehead or there's something about him uh, away from football uh, that uh, is sort of like this underlying issue why USC wouldn't recruit him. Um, he's a good kid. He, he works hard and he's, he's uh, definitely um, a guy that I expect some big things from. Uh, in college, but you know, USC just eh, for whatever reason just doesn't see it, or they just got other guys that are just more comfortable with. Our next question comes from Jim Gerard. In your opinion, when a program is healthy and elite like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, what percentage of high school players versus transfers should make up a recruiting class? Also, when do you think when do you think there will be some sanity and steady state brought to NIL? which is interesting that he mentions Bama because Nick Saban's going to Washington, D.C. to talk about NIL regulation. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a, a very, very good question. Now, before this week, and we were coming into June visits, there was that overlying question of, you know, how much percentage-wise is USC really putting in high school recruiting? Are we only seeing three commitments at this point? because they're still in the mode of we'd rather recruit transfers. You know, it's easier to recruit transfers in a lot of ways. And you're obviously getting a proven commodity, which from a collective standpoint seemed to be USC's approach. I know it was USC's approach. I've been basically told that much that USC is more comfortable going after college transfers that they've already seen play at the college level. They know the production and the value that they bring uh, from the other schools that they've already been playing at. So that was a big question before this week. This week changes the game quite a bit uh, from that standpoint. In terms of ratio, uh, if you're looking at Ohio State, if you're looking at Clemson and Alabama and Georgia, uh, you know, those programs are bringing in a, a pretty small number of transfers um, relative to some of the other schools like USC or Colorado. Now, as I've said before, there's context to that. USC was trying to turn over their roster. Colorado is trying to turn over their roster. 
and they're trying to do it as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is with transfers. So, you know, as we get further away from that rebuild, uh, you start to look at, okay, what's better for the culture? What's better for the program long term? And clearly the schools that are already at that level believe that recruiting from the high school level and only cherry picking a few transfers here and there is the best way to go because that's what they're still doing. Even with Alabama losing something like 17 players off of the roster, we're very, very picky and only got a couple transfers out of that first window. So I would say for USC four to five, I think if you can, uh, let's call it, you know, 25 in a class, right? We, you know, it's going to change just depending on how many players you're going to take in a given cycle, but let's just call the round number 25. It used to be 25 was a limited class. It's not a limit anymore, but let's just say 25 is a round number. I think you're probably looking at guys, yeah, four or five, I think would be pretty good. You know, um, it's going to depend on how many rides you have and, and, and how things play out with the high school kids, because that comes first. You know what the pool of talent is for that cycle in high school. You don't know what the pool of talent is going to look like uh, generally for the transfer portal. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that um, three or four would be probably pretty good. Uh, USC, from a strategy standpoint, positionally, it looks like with the defensive line, they're putting more emphasis on the portal still just because we don't see those bodies coming in for official visits. You had Edric Houston, who visited in May. Uh, you've got Cameron Fountain, who, uh, you know, says that Roy Manning and the, the, the Alex Grinch want to have him as a stand-up rush in, which is not really technically a defensive lineman, although I see him eventually growing and, and being maybe more of an impact player as a five technique, which is more of a defensive lineman. Uh, but you've got Jericho Johnson out there who's probably going to officially visit sometime during the fall. Uh, Aiden Breland, I think USC slipped with him. I haven't really heard much positive about him being on campus this summer for USC, and he wants to make a decision uh, in August. Granted, I don't know if that's going to be the end of his recruitment, but nevertheless, you know, he wants to make a decision over the summer and USA, USC might not get an official visit. So the bodies are not really there. You know, the quality and quantity of defensive linemen, kind of like last cycle where you only really had Edric uh, Hill, who committed to Alabama, is your really only interior defensive lineman. They might feel like because in most years, most cycles, it's difficult to find those Ellison McCarthy types, the 6'5", 315-pound, ready-made, five-star defensive interior tackle. You know, there's not just many of those guys out there. So, you know, defensive line is also a position that is the easiest to plug and play as a transfer because it's just there's not a lot schematically that you need to know as a defensive lineman. It's like watch the ball, you see the ball move, attack the gap. That's That's what you do. Create havoc. And it's not like quarterback position or wide receiver or these other positions where you got to know more terminology and I need to know more of the scheme. So it lends itself. Excuse me. Bless you. To, uh, you need that. Maybe you need that audio of Christ again. Um, you, you, <laughs> that lends itself to be able to go after you know, transfers as, as defensive linemen. So, you know, maybe that's that's the thinking. You know, we'll, we'll kind of see how, how the, the, the cycle progresses when you get guys on campus um, maybe later in the year. But uh, right now, that's kind of how it looks. So I, I would say, you know, again, to answer the question, I, for me, it would probably be in that four to five range, maybe four to six, depending on, you know, who's there and how many rides you have left over from high school recruiting. Because you, you do have that second 
end of the cycle with the high school kids in the February. So you could have some guys still out there that haven't made decisions early signing day. And then you've got to figure out, oh, these guys popped up in the first window. Yeah, there's just like, you know, 15 guys that we would like that we feel could compete for starting positions. Yeah, we're, we're, we're we've got enough room to take five or six. That's my maybe what you do. And on a normal year, if you're recruiting really well from the high school level, I, just judging from what these other colleges that are at the top of college football are doing, I'd say it's probably more like four. Next question comes from Chef Austin. For the first time in a long time, we were fed wrong information from Hurricane. Kids committed that were supposed to be traction visits, LOL. Is it safe to say now you should not doubt Lincoln Riley and his ability to get players? We thought we had no chance. P.S. Y'all are the best. No. Doubt is there for objectivity. And we cannot get caught up in the here and now with recruiting. It's very easy to do that. But you have to go with what you're hearing. You have to go with your sources. You have to go with the conversation that you had the kid the morning that he committed (laughs) and the vibe that you got from that conversation. You can't go with anything more than that because then it's not honest, right? Your assessment is influenced by, well, because now listen, at the same time, you look for patterns and you look for, you know, the empirical evidence on the recruiting trail of what has happened. And we are still in the infancy of the Lincoln Riley era. And we are coming away from an era where USC lost them a lot of recruits because they were playing bad football. They weren't developing their players very well. And they didn't have a lot of guys going uh, early in the NFL draft. So when those things start to change and you have a competent coaching staff in now and you see that they are able to turn the, 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 the corner with some of these guys. Now, you know, with a Manasseh, a Tete, you kind of say, okay, I, I could see that, I guess. You know, I mean, there was a leader there was Florida State, but that's across the country, even though he's from originally from the Congo. I mean, I think that also sort of goes, well, you know, he, traveling is not a big deal here. You know, being away from home is not necessarily going to be a big factor for him. Uh, but nevertheless, you say, okay, you could, you could, you could argue that. I could see where you go, okay, okay, okay. But a guy like Cameron Fountain, I would go back to the Pete Carroll era and say, you know, how many of those guys did USC get? Not a lot. You know, Kyle Moore was, again, why it was a comparison there, because he was one of the few. As good as USC was, the run that they made, they were 0 for a lot of defensive linemen from the South. A lot of guys. They offered a lot of guys, recruited a lot of guys, and you just didn't get a lot of guys. And that's just how it was. And so you also kind of look at that as, okay, what's the reality check here? Now, the one thing that makes this a different era and recruiting a little different is NIL. And that's a bit of an actress. And and the second part of that question, I think the first question, which I don't know if we actually even answered, um, is, you know, how how does that impact things and, and, and how has it changed for USC? And I don't want to get too much into that because it's speculative. We're talking about, you know, financials here and not everybody is going to give you that firsthand information of what's going on. But yeah, that's a, that's a factor for some of these kids. 
And that is going to be a factor in college football moving forward. And as we move forward and there are more and more stories and there's just more of this behind us, I think college football fans will be a little more accepting about that conversation because right now people are still stuck in college football amateurism era where kids picked your school because of the great academics, because of the campus life, because they love the coaching staff and they love the football. And three of those things relate to the alumni and they feel a personal emotional investment in that school because of those things. They experienced those things. They walked those halls, they walked the campus and they felt like, man, this is part of who I am. And when this kid commits to this school, he sees what I see. And I like that. I love that. My school and something that I'm a part of is great. And you're associating with that. You know, you associate and that's why you want that thing you're a part of to win and to be successful. And so that's the difference between college football and the NFL or pro sports in general. And now we're seeing kids making decisions that are not necessarily completely about academics and the relationships with staff and the campus life, right? If all things are equal, yeah, it comes down to that. But if there are schools that say, hey, we can guarantee you this amount of money if you come here, which is technically legal, by the way, uh, but we're obviously seeing some things where, you know, the collectives and the boosters, and again, it's all financial information. It's all private. It's not stuff that the media or anybody really has access to. And even though people are willing to speculate and throw crazy numbers out there, which I think a lot of them have been BS, you know, it's they, they still want to talk about it in a way like it's there's some certainty to it, but there's not. It's just this thing that's there right now that, you know, in terms of regulation, in terms of the ceiling of it and, and, and what kids are actually going to be paid and and what they're paid and, and what it comes out to being what value wise on the field for the university, it's all remains to be seen. Right. It's just it's we don't know yet. Like, is the starting quarterback at a university that's a Heisman Trophy contender worth three million dollars a year? Or is he not worth three million? Like, how do you kind of figure it out? Well, you don't figure it out until he's done and graduated and you look at the merchandising sales and the ticket sales and, and everything else. And you try to figure out. And then for boosters and for the fan base, there is this sort of intrinsic value to it that, that, that is an intangible that you can't necessarily put a, a money amount on. Because, again, it's the success of the football team and the school, which they are associating with. And that's, you know, just something personal that you you want to see. You want to be a part of that. So this is a very interesting thing and, and something that we just posted on the board answering some questions. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking about it as I was typing is it's so unique that college football is a pro-am sport right now. And every pro-am sport that I can really think of is so small and has such a sort of uh, homegrown feel to it. It's nothing like college football. You look at boxing, you look at racing, you look at all these things. Pro-Am sports are usually like this mom and pop thing where you stick sponsorships everywhere you possibly can to try to keep your head above water as an organization or an association. It's nothing like this behemoth, this billion dollar behemoth that college football is. And now college football is trying to back its big ass into being a pro-Am sport. Big ass. As opposed, as opposed to a pro-am sport growing and becoming big. 
right? It's, it's very strange now that we're we're looking at this sort of reverse to what you know we see financially for most sports uh, that are pro am. So this is all, man. It's fluid. And, and the and the question that we didn't answer, which was asked by Jim, which was a, a, a follow up to a, to a good question, is you know, when are we going to see some of this sort of settle out? Like when are we going to see some guardrails? When it, I don't have an answer to that question. I really don't. It, it could be four years, could be five years. I don't think it's going to be you know next year or the year after. Uh, I, I think unfortunately there's probably going to have to be some scandals. There's going to be some fraud. There's going to be some bad actors that get involved in the system to try to rip somebody off. And then the feds will get in and then they'll say, okay, we have to step in and we have to provide some type of regulation for this. And it's going to come through the state, not going to be through the NCAA. I don't know what the NCAA is going to become. They might morph themselves into some type of player union or something, but it's not going to be. Um, the, the NCAA that's going to provide this regulation. It's going to have to be the government. And I just don't know how much of the genie you get back on the bottle at this point, right? That's kind of part of the, the, the issue with this is that it's a free-for-all right now. Uh, but I think there's going to be some unfortunate events that are going to have to happen before people go, all right, that's cool, but that's enough. We need to make sure that we're protecting the players, the universities. Well, we can't just allow anybody – to float in here and start trying to make deals. And, uh, I, but again, I, I, I don't have the answers as to how that's all going to play out or, or what's going to happen to, to, to result in their needing to be, you know, that sort of swoop in regulation. I'm worried the only takeaway people are going to be having is you said the NCAA has a big ass, but I hope that's not the only takeaway they got from your, uh, your breakdown there, Gerard. The next question comes from Andrew from Glendale. Hi, Chris and Gerard. Thanks for everything you do. The pod is the best thing I listen to every week, and the long format is great. Please don't change that. Gerard has talked a lot about Lincoln Riley's offense, operating best with a QB who is a legitimate threat to run the ball, and that Malachi Nelson and that Malachi Nelson isn't necessarily the best fit from that standpoint. Good, not elite runner. Is there a QB in the particular in particular from the 2023 class you thought would have a much better fit than Malachi. Aiden Childs comes to mind. Or was Malachi Nelson always destined to be the primary target? Fight on, Andrew from Glendale. I think Nelson was always destined to be the primary target because Lincoln Riley seemed to have picked him so early in the process when he was at Oklahoma. He made him his only offer. When he was at Oklahoma, that that thing he likes to do, and that obviously worked with Malachi Nelson. USC tried to do the same thing and then kind of fell off that. But it seemed pretty early to Lincoln Riley that Malachi Nelson was his guy and identified him as such and got him committed to Oklahoma and then got him committed to USC, which was obviously a no-brainer being from Southern California when he arrived at USC. So it always seemed like Nelson was the destined pick for this position in the 2023 class. Agreed. I think that he was the guy from Jump Street. He committed to Oklahoma, had a relationship with not only Lincoln Riley, but had a relationship with Caleb Williams. And that transitioned over to USC immediately. He committed, uh, you know, not too long after Lincoln Riley had taken the job at USC. So yeah, he was the guy from Jump Street. Uh, in terms of his fit, Within the offense, yes, he does not have the ability to run by design like Caleb Williams. 
Uh, he's not as physical as Caleb Williams is a runner right now. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the biggest things. Um, probably not as as sudden either. Is, is quick, but Malachi is a better athlete than he probably gets credit for. Didn't see a lot of it in high school, but I've been told by several people he can run. He's a very good athlete. Um, it's probably more Baker Mayfield than it is Jalen Hurts. But nevertheless, a guy that can get outside the pocket and a guy that can keep the ball and can get six, you know, to, to 15 yards for you if the defense is not going to play uh, the run against the quarterback. And that's the biggest thing is just having that threat to be able to have a quarterback uh, that can uh, that can get a first down on you. It doesn't need to be like Caleb Williams. He doesn't need to run for 60 yards. He doesn't necessarily have to be like a game breaker as a runner. It's just about keeping the defense honest. Next question comes from Nick. Bit long, bear with me. This has got to be the product of new SC SC NIL collectives kicking into gear, right? I know the line is that SC won't go in on the high school NIL game like others, but is is there much of a difference if you pay the incoming high school kids a bunch of money the moment they're enrolled on campus? I mean, Zach Branch and Tacky Curtis didn't come to USC without a guarantee of money once enrolled, right? Assuming SC still won't pay holding fee for high school kids prior to their enrollment, doesn't this crazy wave of unexpected commits suggest we're throwing around some decent numbers now that ha- now to have kids forego that money while they're still in high school? Or am I mistaken? Please discourse. Y'all are the best from Nick. So another <laughs> question about NIL families. Is, is USC becoming an <laughs> NIL family? Yeah, and – Unfortunately, to kind of lean on what I said earlier, because there's a lot of speculation involved, you know, I don't want to sit here and make any grand statements about it. Um, I think there is a difference, however, with guaranteeing opportunities. And, you know, you can't really guarantee an opportunity. I I mean, I, I guess you can, but having opportunities upon enrollment versus paying money up front to go to a school. I mean, the big difference is you're paying for a commitment, which according to the NCAA is illegal. That's inducement. So you're not allowed to do that legally. Second of all, you're gambling really, because that kid could take that money and say, thanks, and then not end up enrolling at your school. Um, So there is some difference there. And, you know, the more aggressive schools uh, have said to have been more up about upfront money and commitments and visits and everything, because it goes beyond just commitments these days from what I understand. Uh, but the opportunities upon enrollment are, yeah, a bit different. You have a guy in your program at that point, right? And, um, you know, those NIL opportunities are going to be there for the whole team. Uh, but that player is there and you're working with him and you have communication with him on an official level. Uh, There's a lot of differences just in terms of making sure uh, everybody's on the same page when it comes to this thing, right? And the collectives can be involved. The collectives can't have any contact with any of these visitors. They, They have none. So there's no like, okay, we're taking a tour of the campus, going to meet with Lincoln Riley, and then we're going to go and jump in the van and go down to Palos Verdes and have this meeting with a bunch of people that are representatives of a collective for USC. That's not happening for USC. They can't do that, and that is against the rules. So they don't have any contact in that way. And I think really, you know, looking 
uh, back at the 2023 class, and we talked about this a little bit previously, so I'm not going to rehash everything that I said, but there were some interesting differences maybe for some of those guys, uh, particularly Malachi Nelson and then Mikai Lemon, just the connections that they had to the program as commitments, and they had close connections to the program and to people that were already in the program. Um, not Tackett Curtis, but some of those other guys, they did have uh, a, a connection to. So I, I think that's a little different. You know, when you're talking about the brother of somebody that's at USC and enrolled in USC, you know, different story. Again, with communication and, and what you're allowed to do, the flexibility of what you're allowed to do, it's very different from uh, a kid that has no connections to the program. There's not a brother that's committed to the program. There's not any friends, family. You know, it's just it's basically people out there that you just have a relationship with through uh, the limitations of recruiting. And that's a little different. So you're talking about lots of money here and uh, lots of money. You know, people are, are very hesitant to just, you know, throw that around. A at least it seems with USC, you know, with some other schools, like I said, uh, the, the inducement, you know, the accusations are, are a little different. And again, it's speculation. Uh, there are people that throw, you know, money, totals out there. And again, I think that's coming from one side of the story. And there are people that are purposely, I think, uh, exaggerating for the purpose of trying to raise the dollar amount. You know, it's a negotiation and they see big dollar amounts and they're like, oh yeah, well, yeah, this kid has got paid $9 million for this. And so, so the next kid who's even ranked higher, what is he going to get? Oh, he's going to get $11 million. Oh, of course. And hoping that there's somebody within these collective groups or boosters that's just naive enough to be like, oh, well, I heard he got this much money. So yeah, we'll just throw this much more at this. Or, or, or it's like, oh, well, he only wants 3 million. Well, that's a big discount, right? And it's not, you know, it's like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands and it's been inflated by rumor and uh, by, uh, you know, representatives, whether official or unofficial uh, to be much more, to try to get more. So again, that goes back to talking about the ceiling of this and what these players are actually worth and, and, and what the the collectives and and the the schools themselves actually get from it it's totally different than the nfl which is it's a much easier thing to 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 calculate because the ncaa is not an employer the universities are not an employer the nfl is so this is part of the <laughs> the issue in trying to figure all of this out and to deal with this it's a bit of a mess and like i said it's pro-am sport now and not only the powers of B have to figure that out, but, you know, the fan bases, they're just used to um, the, 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 the players and the high school kids. And, you know, the, the, it's all about the passion and you go to the school because you love the school and stuff. And not to say that's not still something that has influence, but there's also finances that are involved and everybody wants to get their fair share. And our final questions comes from Arthur in the OC, Monsieur Trevino and Martinez. Thank you so much for providing us USC alumni and fans with such in-depth and insightful information about Trojan football recruiting. It is a subculture, but both of you job. I enjoy your podcasts immensely. Thank you so much, Arthur, for those kind words. I have one comment and two questions. So let's go to the first one. Given the NCAA's corrupt and disparate treatment of USC in the past. I think it's prudent for USC to continue its conservative approach to NIL. 
until the NCAA and or California legislator and legislature enacts definitive rules on what is allowable and what is not. Even then, the Trojans will need to err on the side of caution since the NCAA more readily attacks private institutions, witness SMU, USC, Miami, versus public cheater schools, UNC under Carol Fault, Auburn, Oregon, which also entails taking on the state legislators. What are your thoughts? So, wow, that's a mouthful. First private. That, that's a mouthful from Arthur. <laughs> Well, I would say, yes, Miami was under the microscope, but Miami came away pretty unscathed, at least in their last encounter with the NCAA. So I don't know if I would necessarily make it a private school versus state school. I think the main difference is that the state schools like Penn State, they used the state of Pennsylvania to basically call the NCAA's bluff. And say, okay, we're going to have people that are uh, state legislators to go after you. And the NCAA backed down really quickly with that. USC didn't have that. USC is a private school, so there's nobody in the state that really cared. And probably it was on the other end of the spectrum. So I think that's you know a, a little bit different. I do, I do think, yes, USC has been very conservative with NIL, but they're not alone. I mean, I think there's been several schools. I think Ohio State's actually been pretty conservative with NIL from what I've seen. I think that uh, Notre Dame has been fairly conservative with NIL from what I've seen. There are the schools that have been more aggressive and they're pretty easy to spot, you know, in terms of uh, getting just a, a big group of kids that they really have no business <laughs> involved with or having, you know, competing against other programs that have just been so much more successful, that have developed players better, that are winning, that have better coaching, that just have a better track record in general. And and even in recruiting before NIL have a significant better track record. So um, I, I think that uh, being conservative is good, kind of finding and seeing, you know, what the rules are, because again, boys and girls, the rules are what are enforced. The rules are not necessarily what are listed there um, uh, on paper. You know, there are those type of rules that are not enforced and nobody adheres to them. There are the rules that are actually enforced. And so that's what everybody's still trying to get a, a feel for and, and really looking at what can be enforced by the NCAA. Once again, when it comes to, you know, subpoena, subpoena, oh, I can't say that word. Subpoena, subpoenas. <laughs> become Chris Trevino here. You cannot subpoena financial records of private individuals if you're the NCAA. You can't subpoena them across the record, uh, across the board in general. And so they're always been very limited from that standpoint in terms of investigation. They can really only investigate uh, the employers uh, of, of, or the employed of these colleges, these universities. So there's just some stuff there where it's like, okay, you know, I mean, there's got to be like a whistleblower or somebody's got to be disgruntled and try to take somebody to court. And then you, you know, through that discovery, uh, and I don't want to talk like a lawyer because I'm not a lawyer, 
um, that becomes where you could, you know, maybe get some some records or some things that pop up and then say, go, oh, wait a second. You're not allowed to do that. You're not supposed to be doing that on the behalf of the university. Um, but again, that's why universities are quickly trying to get under the umbrella uh, protection of the states and state laws. And they're getting quick to try to make state laws a certain way that it's like, hey, you know what? Eh, we can't be uh, at fault here. Um, the NCAA doesn't have the teeth to do this, that and the other. Uh, but, you know, if we end up on the wrong side of uh, some type of state law or federal law, and that's a different story. And we can knock these last two questions out really quick. Unless I missed it, there was no mention on your podcast of Dejon Terry, who transferred from my home state, University of Tennessee Volunteers, via the portal to the University of Oklahoma Sooners recently. Did USC pursue, pursue him at all? If not, why not? You can never have too many quality defensive linemen, right? Uh, to my knowledge, and I'm sure and maybe gerard's knowledge i do not believe usc was involved with mr dejon terry uh why not well i would have to say maybe they looked at him but you know did i have to, I, I don't really know much about this player i don't know what his uh production was like at the university of tennessee and as gerard had mentioned several times on this podcast production is a valuable commodity when you're in the secondary market. Uh, six foot four, 320 pounds, good size. Uh, played in 34 games for uh, with the Volunteers. Started nine of those games. You know, 16 tackles, six tackles for a loss. You know, some production, but I think just think they maybe like some other guys better than uh, Mr. Dejon Terry. Yeah, not a name that I'm familiar with, so I can't speak to why USC didn't recruit him. Um, maybe just wasn't really on the radar for them at that point, uh, focusing on Bear, and they already had Keon Bars, who, you know, they they like. Um, I do agree, you know, I mean, big bodies up front are always good. Uh, but, um, you know, you also have the NIL war chest, too. And talked about this uh, like a couple of years ago when we were getting into NIL is, you know, one man's you know, like low four star could be another man's five star. And so you get some schools that are more like mid majors and what have you, and they could nab a four star guy that could make their class, you know, they could build around that and they might be more apt to, you know, be more aggressive and, and try to have some type of really lucrative NIL deal where, you know, you're, you're third on the board for maybe some other bigger time program like Alabama. Uh, they're not really going to see you as a big NIL priority. And the final question, I was glad to see offensive lineman Jason Rodriguez found a home at the University of Nevada. How did this former four-star miss at USC? Same question for Kobe Pepe from St. John Bosco, no less. With Jason, I mean, yes, Jason Rodriguez had the distinction of being the last consensus four-star offensive lineman USC signed under Clay Heldon. And, you know, just because they're a four-star does not mean they are a guarantee to hit. There are numerous uh, examples of high-profile recruits not making it in college. And I think Jason Rodriguez was just one of those guys. I mean, he had size. He had played with a nasty streak. But, you know, sometimes it just doesn't click. Tried him at tackle. Did not have success there. Kicked him inside to guard. It just looks like he could never break in to that rotation. I remember watching a practice from the Coliseum with him working on the third team, you know, which is kind of reserved for, you know, true freshmen and walk-ons for that make up your scout team. And 
to see a former four-star, former All-American, Under Armour All-American there was, you know, kind of disheartening. I remember watching Toa Lobodon trying to work with him and just seemed like he lost his confidence at some point. And, you know, that's kind of hard to work back. And, yeah, I think that was the reason. You know, he did have some injuries, but not enough to where you would say it, would, it really set back his USC career. I do think he can, you know, maybe find a second wind at the University of Nevada. I think he can have success there. Uh, and Kobe Pepe, injuries did really stifle his development early. He had the shoulder injury in spring camp, and that required surgery. So that obviously shut him down for the, se- the year and was just never able to kind of find his footing again after that. Just seemed like injuries would pile up and hit him. He is still in the portal as far as I know. But, you know, when you have a shoulder injury like that, you obviously can't do a lot of lifting. And obviously, as a defensive lineman, you want to get bigger and stronger. And you really can't do that if you have a shoulder injury and you have to can't participate in that. So that also obviously stifled his development in that regard in the weight room. So Kobe Pepe definitely has had injuries really hinder his career at USC. And with Jason Rodriguez, I just, I just think it was kind of a confidence inning and just had some, just couldn't really break in. And that evolved into, you know, just the end of his career at USC. I think the interesting thing about Kobe Pepe is he's one of those guys that put on a lot of weight uh, at USC and he was coming out of St. John Bosco, like a 260, 265. He was a very undersized defensive lineman. And I liked him a lot. I liked how. Yeah, I liked him too. He he wasn't necessarily a dominating guy. He wasn't a guy that was going to be one of your frontline guys, but he was a contributor in my eyes. But he ended up being like 315, I think he was listed at, which I, I was kind of shocked at uh, when he kind of ballooned up over 300 pounds. And it wasn't like he didn't carry it and, and he couldn't. It wasn't a sloppy 300 plus pounds, but it, it, I don't know that his frame really had enough to, to carry that type of weight. Uh, I think he was just a little heavy and his quickness suffered, you know, and I'm always the guy that's like, put more weight on, put more weight on. Like if you're not really going to get faster, drop into 250 and you'd be better at 265 going to 280, do it. There is value in just that bulk. Uh, as a defensive lineman from an anchor standpoint. And a lot of guys think, oh, man, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and I'm going to go from a you know a 4.9 to a 4.5. No, you're not. You're going to go from a 4.9 to a 4.9, like a 4.93 to a 4.9 flat. And there's a lot of guys just don't get a lot faster. And so I'm usually behind the, hey, you know what, put on 10, 15, 20 pounds, get bigger, get stronger, um, you know, own your inner Bubba, right? That should be our our, our shirt. Bubba. Uh, um, offering. Oh, we got we got merch coming. I'll, I'll whip that up. I'll whip the bubba. <laughs> I, we have so many sayings and ideas for merch. We go bankrupt making merch. Uh, <laughs> just trying to create a a shirt or a hat that said all these weird things that that come out of my mouth. But anyways, um, yeah. So I mean that that was kind of something I always thought was a little interesting in terms of this development uh, from a D line standpoint. A guy that put on a lot of weight, but maybe put on a little bit too much weight. Yeah. And that is it. Arthur wraps it up by saying thanks again for your effort. Arthur in the OC, USC class of 1977. Ricky Bell, may he rest in peace, was my was in my oceanography class with Professor Bernie Pipkin. Shout out to the Pipkins. Uh, I don't know who that is, but uh, shout out to Professor Bernie Pipkin. 
Gerard, we have reached the end of what has been a very, very, very long podcast. It might hold the record. I have to see the final timestamps, but yeah, it's going to be a long one. Longer than made it this the far, signing day live congrats. show? Uh, live shows don't – I'm talking about in terms of a straight non-live podcast. podcast. Okay. Good. Yeah, because yeah, we – during the live show, we had like a, right, a right, one-hour right, crew right. and a two-hour crew yeah, yeah. and a three-hour crew. We didn't do that for the podcast, and we should have because it's probably getting up there to being about three to four hours. Yeah, it's it's close. It's close to there. It, it's going to be pushing four hours. We'll see what it ends up being. It might set the record for, as I said, non-live USC podcasts. Gerard – before I go, I've had a couple of people asking me if we would go live or after the golden hour weekend. And if it gets super crazy and they get like, I don't know, seven commits, eight commits, 10 commits, whatever. Would we do a live show that Wednesday? That Wednesday? I don't know. We'll have to check the calendar because <laughs> Chris is very real girlfriend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Your girlfriend is gonna freaking hate me so much. I don't. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Um, she does not. She does not. Uh, but uh, we got a crazy week that week. Um, leading into that weekend of visits, we have two different major events that are going on practically at the same time, which is kind of why I'm giving Chris a little bit of uh, uh, give him a hard time because he's uh, going on vacation in the middle of them. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I don't know. We, we, we might be I might be done with going down to Redondo and, <laughs> and, and the coast from the IE at that point. All the driving I have to do uh, this coming weekend, uh, going down to Redondo for a live show. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to make any promises on that. We'll see how it goes. I wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, it's with the announcements. A lot of these kids have announcements for J- July kind of already set and everything so that that's why this past week was so interesting and, and surprising that you know if they would have gotten a bunch of commits it'd been like okay there's a bunch of emojis out there cool some of the emojis have come to fruition some emojis have not in the in the, in the past few months um you know we'll see what happens but you got a bunch of guys that turn around and they announced like boom like we're not gonna wait till july we're not gonna have like some big uh you know, this is going to be my top five. I'm going to announce it this day. I'm going to do it with 247.com or 24-7 CBS or, or anything like that. You know, they just said, hey, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to commit. I put it on Twitter. Boom. And so that was a bit surprising just in how it all just turned around quickly. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily anticipate that for June 16th, but I guess we'll wait and see. I feel bad because there was a topic on the P, no Cilantro Boys podcast. And I told them that we were literally recording as we speak. And that was like over an hour ago. And then maybe the number one super fan of this podcast, Eddie, posted in there hoping, here's to hoping my two voicemails make it onto the show. Eddie, I apologize. <laughs> I I don't know how voicemails happen. Uh, Ryan just lets me know, like, you have two voicemails in here. And Ryan is sick from his trip overseas. So, like, I have no idea where to get the voicemails, where the voicemails actually go. So I am sorry. I cannot access that. I have no idea where they are. Ryan, I said, as I said, is sick. He usually loads them up for me. So I apologize. I cannot get to those voicemails. They're in the ether of the podcasting atmosphere. I don't know, but Nexus. (laughs) Yeah. Nexus. So 
maybe we can uh, listen to them next next time on the show. I I'm sh- I, I hope so, but I apologize to Eddie because I hopefully I have, they're I evergreen. Have no voice I ha- yeah, hopefully they're evergreen. Uh, I I assume we can assume that they're going to sound like he's in a closet or <laughs> no, driving well, a car. No, he's driving. He's driving. Driving uh, in a closet. Best, the best voicemail of all time from Eddie was the Alec Baldwin, you know, uh, the whispering thing he was doing that he, he sounded like a completely different person, which uh, I was like, Who, what, is, what is And it was shtick. So kind of came off interesting. But then it was also like it reminded me of the impression that Kyle Dunnigan does of Alec Baldwin which is very funny. Gerard, we've come full circle. We've come full circle because this is Alec Baldwin. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. This is Oh, I I've I have seen at least clips of this movie. If you would have said that was Alec Baldwin because I did ask <laughs> who's the actor he was saying it and you just I didn't kept hear that part. I didn't hear that. Part. Repeating the the title of the movie I kind of sort of remember this movie a little bit. I don't think I've seen okay. it from front to back, but I do remember that scene and that meme of Alec Baldwin there, a young Alec Baldwin. Very and, young uh, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, before he shot anybody, uh, he's, God, you know, uh, yeah. Now, now you play the part about Christ, yeah. Have you made your decision for Christ? That's all, ladies Second and gentlemen. Second prize is set a stake. Third prize is your five. Well, I can tell you for one thing, we did not come for the third prize. Third prize. We did not come for the third prize. We are not fired. We lived for another day. That is Gerard. I am Chris. I hope you liked our new intro. I hope you liked this show. Thanks again for sticking with us. If you made it this long to the end of the podcast, give yourselves a round of applause. You were part of history and you listened to this thing. So I'm going to go eat. I'm going to edit this. Gerard's going to get out of that basement. And we will catch you <laughs> next time basement. on Composite Two Star Recruit. Sorry, garage, not basement. There's no basements in California. What's going on? I know. What, you think I live in Nebraska? No, out of the out of the garage. We'll get them out of the garage, and we will see you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.